0: All right, can you hear me now?
1: Yeah, I can. Uh,
0: Perfect. I hate how Discord always switches up the audio devices. (laughs) Okay. Yes, I'm here. Yeah, again, sorry for the delay, but we can finally begin.
1: Okay, let's begin then. So, uh, if I'm I'm not mistaken, the, the topic was the profit motive is good, or... As an incentive is good?
0: Uh, yeah, about the profit motive as an incentive. De- depending on where things go, I guess we could also like, I mean, I mean for example, like let's, let's say uh, halfway through the debate, uh, we don't really make much progress on whether it's a good incentive. Then I guess we could also go into the direction of whether it's necessary, like in the vein of the ECP or whatever. But yeah, for now, I would prefer talking about it as an incentive structure.
1: Okay, do you have an opening remark or something written down?
0: Uh, I have nothing written down. I would make this off the cuff of my hand. Basically, my my main argument here would be about to what extent uh, the profit motive as an incentive aligns with our general societal goal of maximizing human flourishing, like maximizing well-being and avoiding suffering. Whether you agree with that goal is up to whatever you believe is, whatever your personal moral preference is, but I think generally that aligns with what a lot of individuals want for themselves. You know, we all want to be happy, we all want to suffer as little as possible. So yeah, that would be my opening remark, I guess. Just that I, I think the two don't optimally align, and I think there are better incentive structures to organize an economy around. Basically, to 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 me, my ideal system would be a decentrally planned economy in which consumers, I, I guess to an extent democratically... Uh, Control those who control the productions.
1: Sounds horrifying. Okay, I'll, uh, I'll start with. I'll start with mine. I'll, I do have something written down, so I'm just going to read it out. It should be like All right. five minutes, something. So I'll start with the definition. Uh, the profit motive is a positive and ethical pursuit, it is a natural and necessary consequence of individual rights. In a capitalist economic system, individuals have the right to pursue their own self-interest, which include the pursuit of financial gain. Profit is achieved by creating value and providing products or services that others voluntarily choose to purchase. Profit is earned through productive work, innovation, and the satisfaction of cons- uh, customer needs and desires. It incentivizes individuals to engage in productive activities to take risks and to seek out new opportunities. It encourages efficiency, cooperation, and the allocation of resources to their most valued uses. The profit motive is a powerful force that drives economic progress. The argument that profit is bad has its roots in religion. Uh, The love of money is the root of all evil, from the Bible. The rich always get richer, and the poor are always getting poorer, Gospel of Luke. It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. Again, Luke, uh, from Matthew, Then Jesus entered the temple and drove out all who were selling and buying in the temple, and he overturned the tables of money changers and the seats of those who sold doves. He said to them, It is written, My house shall be called a house of prayer, but you are making it a den of robbers. Uh, Augustine also commented, Christians make a common property of the riches with far more excellent purpose, namely, so that they may distribute to each according to his need. The emphasis here is on the danger of placing material possession above one's relationship with God and others. The Apostle Paul advises, command those who are rich in, in this present world not to be arrogant, nor to put their hopes in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God, who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. Command them to do good, to be rich in good deeds, and to be generous and willing to share. That's what Timothy. Um, During the Enlightenment age, there was a significant shift in attitudes toward making a profit. Enlightenment thinkers, influenced by the rise of science and rational thought, saw economic progress as the means to improve human conditions they viewed commerce trade and the pursuit of profit as essential drivers of economic growth innovation societal development enlightenment thinkers also began to question the moral and ethical dimensions of commerce and, prof- of, and profit figures like adam smith an influential philosopher and economist of the enlightenment argued that self-interest and the pursuit of profit could lead to the overall wealth and prosperity of nations Deirdre McCloskey, an historian and economist, argues that the key drivers of wealth creation, specifically in the last 200 years since the Enlightenment, was the newfound appreciation of dignity and virtue of market activity. This shift in values allowed individuals to freely engage in entrepreneurial pursuits, innovate and take risks in pursuit of profit. As a result, there was an explosion of creativity, invention and technological progress that led to the substantial increases in productivity and economic growth today, the left has secularized religion and has been doing so since the Enlightenment ended with, the count- with counter-Enlightenment thinkers like Kant, Hegel, and Marx. They have replaced, They have replaced putting God and others above wealth with putting the greater good of society and others above wealth. As a result of this, centuries of religious moral thought remains largely intact in the culture in the form of moral intuitions even if they deny it, they have no rational explanation for their moral structure as it is founded in a supernatural faith, replaced by a a similar faith-based structure now called the greater good, whom you have a moral duty to serve. That's it.
0: All right, so there were a few things there that I would like to respond to. I guess to start off with uh, your last remark… why would you call the the abstract, well, like, I guess if we treat it as an abstract ideal, it's very easy to like mystify the idea of the greater good. But if we treat it as a concrete, just like what the people as a whole desire, or, or like I guess the arguma, arguma, amalgamation of every person's desires, I don't think that there's anything religious or godlike about it. I think it's... Well, I think, guess essentially because society is a collection of individuals who came together to pursue common goals, right? So, in, 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 from my perspective, pursuing this like this idea of the greater good, that which is best for, for the most amount of people, seems to be what society is organized around.
1: Well, no. Society, society in and of itself is a sort of, let's say, platform or system where it gives you rights and and gives you certain protections and certain freedoms. Uh, Obviously, I would argue for uh, freedoms from force against other people that then allows you to to engage with other people, to have, um, again, I mentioned certain freedoms, but it allows you to engage with other people through this platform that we call a society. So you choosing to engage in the platform in the platform in in the ideal scenario is because it is because it is it serves your self interest like this being part of this um s- a social system is beneficial to me therefore I will engage in it and it and the difference between what you said and what I'm saying is that the in my example the individual is is primary the individual is the society or the social system main purpose is to serve the individual and make sure all individuals have like a certain degree of of freedom rights protections things of that nature whereas in your system the collective is a head is primary to the to the individual and the individual needs to to sacrifice something to it now I, i do not think you can make the claim that the greater good is anything but a, a mystical notion, because uh, you're saying that from a group of humans, a collective is born, or a greater good, or society, and that these uh, individuals within a society are subjugated to it. So I can't. now I can't see it. I can't touch it. I. I, I have no direct evidence that this. Entity exists, so it will be it will be supernatural at the very least uh, by default. But I if would you, if
0: disagree. Sorry. Okay, go ahead. I would disagree with the notion that I'm putting in the abstract idea of the collective above the individual. As I said, to me, the collective is but a collection of individuals. When I say that you might like have to sacrifice your freedoms. For the collective, what I'm saying is that you should sacrifice certain freedoms for the well being of your fellow individuals. The, this isn't about satisfying some, some, some abstract idea that's out there in the ether, it's about satisfying the, the self interest of all the people around you. So, you're, and, say, and to me,
1: you're saying you are, you are your brother's keeper in what way? Uh, helping well from from religion, you are. You have a moral duty for other people in the collective?
0: Uh, yes, I would... Uh, uh, well, moral duty is a bit... I, I'm, I'm a moral subjective of first. I don't believe that there's anything okay. like objective morality out there. But yes, my preferences okay, I'll, I'll, I'll take are off, certainly I, I, of I, a utilitarian nature.
1: I'll take, take off the, the moral and just say you have a duty for your fellow man.
0: I perceive that I have a duty to morals, my fellow man, yeah. Okay, there is well, no objective thing that dictates this duty, but... I have a preference f- to to see other people happy, basically.
1: Uh, okay, so let me put it this way. I, I as a as a rational egoist, I would yes. say that look, I, I have evidence that I exist. So I, I can, you know, through my senses, I have the di- direct awareness that I exist. And I also know through science that I have a limited amount of time to, to live. So my obligation or my duty would be to myself. I don't exactly use those words, but it's easier to to explain to you in this notion. because I, have, because I only have one life and because I have a limited time to live it, that, that would mean the highest priority should be my own abo- and above other people around me. because I only have my own life to live. That, that's That's fact-based. yeah'm I'm not, I'm not saying anything unusual in that sense. So for me, to have a moral system would be what what sort of moral or ethical system would be the best for me to live a good life, the one that maximizes my my time or maximizes my, um, maybe maximize is not a good word because, but what it is to, to live a good life. And subjugating myself to other people would be a sort of, a, a dip, if I choose it, if I don't choose it voluntarily, it will be a way of imposing something. On my life and and making my life poorer or worse, um, or just or just uh, hurting me in some particular way or, or not letting me live the, the life of the way I want to, um, and therefore I think that this is this is a negative thing. Now, for example, I do have a family and I and I chose to have a family and I would yeah. do things from for my particular family because I chose to. It's for, it, it, it helps my life to. To be with them it makes my, it makes my life better to be with them, but people I've never met and people I don't know about that belong to this sort of collective that I may or may not identify with or be part of or obviously they're outside my fam- my immediate family and I didn't choose to be with them I'm not talking about friends of ours or anything of course. that that would be that would go against me living a good life and therefore doesn't make any rational sense so if if you were to say I have a duty towards other people in some abstract collective because the collective could be all of humanity, this country, this continent, this city, this town, people of my, my skin color, people of my ethnicity. It could be a variety of different ways of saying this is the collection that I belong to. Um, so you'd have to justify to me why I have this duty for others. Like in, as in either inductive or deductive, but you have to give a justification for it.
0: Well, my argument there would, as I said, I don't believe that there's any such thing as objective duty. So all I could do there is appeal to your own self-interest. And My argument there would essentially be that other people would would be just as obligated to you as you are to them, right? And since you are a minority and they are the majority, the way you could see is that the majority (laughs) has also a duty towards you to maximize your well-being. That way you all form a system in which all of you strive. For the best that I, for the for the best of all of you basically and whether that is to your benefit or not really depends on your current position on life right like there, there's certainly going to be people whose self-interest is going to be hurt by a more collectivist approach to, to society but definitionally well, assuming that like assuming that both the individualist approach and the collectivist approach assuming that both of them would work equally well right in terms of the feasibility then, definitionally, the collectivist approach would be best for the majority. Now, whether you are going to find yourself in that majority or not, it's likely, but I can't guarantee it. So, like, if you are currently in a very powerful position, then, yeah, I would certainly argue that uh, the things I advocate for probably wouldn't be in your self-interest. Although, even there, you could, like, argue that there's certain... uh I guess you could argue that there's psychological downsides to like feeling value alienated to your society and feeling like you're above them and all that stuff, but ultimately that seems very intangible. So I probably wouldn't make that claim.
1: Okay, so I'm, I'm happy to proceed uh, from a you know self interested point of view, saying you know if I need help, and then being part of a of a system that offers help, then I, I'd have that. I I I can. I can discuss that going forward from, from that perspective, meaning we agree that the good is, is from a self-interested position, but...
0: Well, I, I, I would we, say that there is no good beyond your pers- pers- uh, subjective experience, yeah. There, there is no, like, objective good. Hey, yeah, and I, I, believe I, in, yeah. I believe in uh, psychological egoism, so...
1: Okay. Yeah. But so, from your point, just, but just before we go onto that direction, I just want to, to clarify a few points. Um... So you're saying we do not have a duty for others, and and you cannot point and say this is a this is a collective, this is the greater good. Here is evidence for it, because it is not a supernatural entity. It is an actual entity that you could you could see and
0: touch. Yeah, the collective would by necessity be a socially constructed thing. It would be like we choose to uh, to uh, to come together in this collective. Okay, so how we choose to define this is the collective. Collective can mean anything, right? There, there is no super. There is no objectively defined collective. It's what, it's whatever, uh, whatever you choose to define as your collective.
1: Okay, and, and the things that I choose. Sorry, the things that I choose as as the good or as moral things. Did I get these things from religion and are now in the form of intuitions?
0: I wouldn't necessarily say that you got them from religion.
1: Where else would uh, I have got them from?
0: Uh, I think we have certain, I, I guess to an extent, evolutionarily ingrained preferences that come from empathy.
1: Well, I, I would say this. So, so you're saying uh, the answer, So, just to clarify, you're saying the answer is uh, evolutionary
0: biology. Is, that gives you empathy, yes? It's why most people care about other people, yeah. Obviously, there's some people who don't, but...
1: Are there other cultures that have low levels of empathy, now and in the past?
0: Entire cultures? No, I wouldn't yes. say so. There, there's different ways to spin empathy. Like For, for example, it's really easy <laughs> to form an out-group that you don't have to feel empathy towards, right? But yes. I would argue that's more of a cognitive trick to, uh, to circumvent empathy than actually... Like, uh, getting rid of empathy, right? Like, like a, like a Nazi still deeply cared about his family, right? He just did. A f- cog- he did, he just basically cognitively fucked himself into believing that other people aren't as deser- Other people aren't even people, so they wouldn't be deserving of that empathy.
1: So if they were, I have to be clear here. So if they were part of his group, he would have empathy for them. If they were outside his group, he would not.
0: If he wasn't a sociopath, then yes. Which, yeah, there's like uh, there's a lot of evidence that like a lot of horrible people in in history weren't like actually psychologically ill, right? They just grew up in an ideology that made them believe that their moral tendencies only apply to a certain group of people, not to others.
1: Okay, I'll, I'd like to abstract empathy just just before we move on. I'd like to abstract empathy. Oh, sorry, this would be the last point. Yes. Uh, are you familiar with, with Nietzsche and, and Nietzsche's uh, slave morality? No. <laughs> no, have you have you heard of either?
0: I've heard of them obviously, but I've never like read up on them.
1: Okay, so I'll just uh, summarize it quickly. So Nietzsche is making the claim specifically against Christianity that before Christianity happened uh, and I'm t- in the days of ancient Greece, or I think ancient Greece specifically, um People back then had more like an emphasis on, on, on being virtuous, uh, obtaining wealth, being like this heroic uh, characters you read in books. That was that was their aim. Like, the more you are of this, the better. And Nietzsche's critique is then uh, Christianity came in, and that was the master morality, sorry. Then uh, Christianity came in and said, this is a slave morality where the weak shallin the meek shall inherit the earth uh, the weak are more noble than than the strong uh, you shouldn't really um, strive to be better than other people the, the sort of like christian more like christian mentality it, it, it's it's all, always a mixed bag but
0: that's so, it so, so basically, basically like in one you are like kind of only in duty to yourself and to become the best version of yourself and in the other you are subjugating your own your own self to another idea or another entity
1: Yes, but also, also putting um, a sort of emphasis that strength is bad, weakness is good, uh, working hard—I don't know if working hard—but like for argument, working hard is bad or succeeding is bad. Sorry, but uh, begging for help is 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 virtuous, and then basically saying this is a slave morality, and um, Christianity very, succeeded in this. But the, but the point. Is that uh, I'm hearing a bit of an echo? Sorry, but the point uh, is that before Christianity, people people um, saw themselves and uh, as um, sorry, I'm not, people are moving. i moving back and forth in my room, and I'm losing focus here. Uh, sorry. Basically, the point is before people tried to make as much money as they could, they tried to succeed as much as they could, they tried to live the best life that they could and they they may have had empathy for for people in general but it it's not like the sort of empathy you have now that you are your brother's keeper and you have to help the poor and i'm not saying that they did or didn't but the emphasis was to succeed in life as much as possible uh, as the main as the main point and today because we because we're like um living in this sort of culture which is ultimately from judeo-christian values and judeo-christian you know, hundreds of years of moral religious moral teachings, even if we don't um, if we, even if we haven't thought about it specifically, but then we just absorb them by osmosis or through story, through Bible stories, things of that nature. <clears throat> so basically, before we had these stories, before we had religion, we we didn't have this hardcore empathy that you're talking about. this is this is the the point I'm making through Nietzsche. Um, and it was different before then. So, before the culture the culture changed, we we didn't have this empathy in quotations that you're talking about, or th- that's the point I'm making.
0: Basically, it manifested in different ways, right?
1: Basically. You I think read, the
0: feeling was still there, but it wasn't like oh, I have to help the poor. It was more like I wish the poor were better, but I have to care about myself or something like that.
1: But basically, like let, let me simplify. As a child, you didn't hear stories about how you need to help the poor, how you need to um, put them before you, and, and that you shouldn't, you know, try too hard to be better than them because they're the same as you. I'm, I'm, I'm slightly okay. doing tongue in cheek here, but before hearing those stories. Society had a, a very different outlook on what it should be doing, what its goals should be, or what the what, what it what being virtuous means.
0: I'm open to the idea, sure. But what does that what does that imply about that?
1: It's therefore it's not biological.
0: Well, sure. Uh, I wouldn't argue that utilitarianism or anything like that is biologically ingrained. I wouldn't. No, say. Y- you
1: you you mentioned that we have inbuilt empathy. And to some degree, yes. you know, to some degree, like you can say, like a mother would have an inbid empathy for a child and stuff like that, but uh, we had a period of time where it wasn't as you described, like we we kind of didn't have the the societal empathy that you're talking about back then, prior to religion.
0: Oh yeah, I'm, I'm sure it always manifested in different ways, right? Like, even in other places on the, uh, in the world, like nowadays, right, there's many people who, don't, who, who look at a homeless person, and even in Judeo-Christian countries, right, there's plenty of people who look at homeless people with contempt, uh, thinking that, oh, had they only made better choices, this is what they deserve as a result. Like there, There's plenty of people to do that. I'm not saying that the kind of view we need to help each other mentality is ingrainedness. I'm just saying that, the emotion that tends to lie at the root of the advocates of this mentality, that isn't great in us. And how it manifests in each individual is subject to their own mentality and yeah, obviously also in, in large part by, shaped by the culture they grew up in. But, uh, but I'm not sure what that is telling us about, I, I guess, what our moral prescriptions might be or might, should be.
1: Okay. Because um, to me, yeah. it's like,
0: even, 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 if I, uh, even if I presuppose that uh, my utilitarian preferences are in large part shaped by my culture, I wouldn't necessarily see that as a bad thing. Because those preferences just are my preferences. There is no, there is no outside force that tells me that my preferences can't possibly be shaped by the culture I grew up in.
1: But what if these uh, preferences don't serve you well? What are these are self-destructive?
0: How would they be self-destructive?
1: I'm just, in general. I'm not, uh, I'm not, how would they be self-destructive? They shorten your life, make your life worse, um, make you feel guilty for things you shouldn't be guilty about, so on and so forth.
0: Mm, I would say it depends on how self-destructive they really are. But uh, I would say some degree of self-destructiveness is, Generally permittable, I guess, because out of self-destruction also comes like a great sense of purpose, right? And that generally seems to be a very good source of just happiness and fulfilledness. I would say purpose is a very vital aspect of every person. And how you find that purpose is going to come down to the individual.
1: I'm not sure I understand how self-destruction and purpose are linked.
0: Uh, There, 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 there can be great purpose to be found in suffering for others or generally a greater cause. Like uh, what you mentioned earlier, with like uh, making the most out of yourself, right? Self actualization itself is often gonna come with a lot of suffering because you have to constantly self respect, self reflect. You have to constantly work on getting better and better every day. That's not gonna be very. uh, That's not. That's not gonna be very. it's not going to make you happy a, a lot of days. In fact, that's going to be very. It's, it's a lot of the days that is going to make you suffer. But what you get out of that is a great sense of purpose that you are aiming towards a a, um, a greater goal. Right, that you've exactly. chosen yourself, and that it, that 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 makes the suffering worth it, basically.
1: I'm I, I'm not sure I would use suffering in this particular context. Um, I would say that let's say you know you 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 want to go to the gym a lot and you have a particular physical goal in mind and then you go to the gym you, you work hard it, it is painful to some degree and then you achieve your goal and you're very happy i would say that that is a sort of prioritization where you prioritize going to the gym over something else which could be enjoyable but you're you're now in the in the gym with the idea that in the long term you would get something very you'd be very happy or to achieve the goal that you set out for yourself, I would see self-destructive behavior more like physically harming yourself, um, self-sabotage in your career, um, because of doubts or, or like lack of confidence or something like that, or something that is um, doesn't serve your life. Not 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 something that makes you work hard towards a goal that is for your life, but something that is. Taking you further away from living a good life.
0: No, I would say the same thing can apply there, right? Like if you if you are if you are uh, sacrificing a lot to up to help your co- local community, and then when you are 80 or something, and you sit on your lawn, you just see all you you see how much your community has improved thanks to your services. I think that there can be a great deal of happiness found in that.
1: I mean, if you set yourself that goal and and you wanted to do that, yes. then, then by all means, I mean, I, I wouldn't say that is that is against the idea of living a good life. I would just preface like, are you sure that this, this is something that you really want or someone else injected that idea into your head? But if it is genuinely your idea, like you, like let's say in my town, I don't like it that there's so many homeless people and I decide to set up like a non profit or donate to an existing non profit to, to help them, you know, uh find like a better a better way to live their life, then that is something and as a result my my town looks nicer and I feel better for being a part of it. And that's fine. Um but that's something I chose voluntarily to do. So
0: I guess something I would criticize you for that. You criticized me earlier for like having this abstract idea of the collective, right? And something, and I would kind of levy that criticism at you for like that abstract idea of you as an actor, because to me, I'm, if you, if if someone puts an idea into your head as a child, then when you grow older and that idea becomes more and more ingrained into your psyche. Where is that line between this is your idea and this is the idea of someone else? To me, it seems like you as a person are in large part shaped by your environment, and yeah, those influences are external, but they become necess- necessarily internalized by you and form who you are
1: so I would say that I would say that largely doesn't matter as long as i Thought about rationally if that idea that I got either from myself or from someone else is good for me long term. It could be advice you know my parents gave me or something, but I still have to evaluate it rationally myself if it serves me. If it doesn't, check it out. If it does, use it. Uh, and the same thing you know with with morality from religion. If it's if it's if I'm in a, a Judeo Christian environment and um, there are all these you know moral uh, prescriptions and or, or principles that i need to follow uh, i need to evaluate those if those are helpful for me uh, rationally if they are adopt them if they're not chuck them out and i think to some degree you would probably you know do the same like if something some idea from from religion came that you that utilitarians didn't like they would check it out as well
0: yeah sure i i guess i've i, I guess i agree with that the idea that um but, but but what you're basically just uh, pointing out is the value of self or like the necessity of self-reflection, right Sure, yeah Inter- yes, I, 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 yes uh, what i I guess I would fundamentally agree with that
1: okay, so let's continue back to the to the main topic of profit. so you said we put a pin before on uh, me being part of a collective is beneficial to me from a from a self-interested point of view, so let's let's discuss that.
0: It's going to be beneficial to you depending on your sor- circumstance, and chances are that it will be.
1: Um, okay, so let me just raise a point. So in, in you know, capitalism or free markets, we have this system of trade or the trade or pin- principle where I am self-interested, someone else is self-interested. And through this mechanism of trade, we decide because we are self-interested. It is in our in our interest to, to trade, and from this trade, we both we both gain something. It is a win-win exchange. It's done voluntarily, and uh, that is one way of interacting with people, other people in, in society, or, or my society, where that uh, benefits both people. And again, there's like a sort of harmony of interest from from that happening.
0: I wouldn't say there's a harmony of interests. I that's, would say I would I would agree that it necessarily is a win-win scenario if both parties agree with it. But the extent to which it is a win for both parties ex- uh, depends a lot on how much leverage each party has.
1: Right, but by definition, it's a harmony of interest because that that's that's like uh, just the it's just the definition of it in a sense. We both the, we both are we're both self interested and. We agree to to trade, and therefore both of us share similar interests. There is a harmony between our interests. Even if you take, let's say, uh, an employer and employee, an employee well, like soon to be employee, the employer wants to give a job, the employee wants to work at a job. That's a harmony of interest.
0: Well, well, no, because the employer, uh, the employee's interest would be. To receive the wage without or with a minimal contribution on his part and the employer's uh, in, interest would be to receive as much of the work with as little with having to pay as little as possible right Right. But whenever but this, there's this a is... trade going on both parties are incentivized to get as much out of it with while paying while having to pay as little as possible
1: right but this is called compromise and, co- and collaborate like you can make that argument for husband and wife like the husband wants to do as little as possible, the wife wants to do as as possible and gains as much as possible, but we, we, we compromise and we collaborate.
0: And, yeah, and that compromise gets skewed into one direction if there's some power imbalance between both participants.
1: Okay, so you, are you saying that this is not a win-win exchange? Let's, let's take game theory. Are you saying this is not a, a win-win exchange? This is a prisoner's
0: dilemma? I'm saying it is a win-win exchange, but the extent to which it is a win-win exchange depends on the power imbalance. So basically both parties have an incentive to minimize the win of the other. Dava is still going to make get a win out of it because they obviously they agreed to doing it. So they, at least in the moment, they must have had expected some benefit of it, right? What, why? But the extent to which they win is dependent on how much leverage Dava person has over them.
1: Why does the... Why does one try to get as much as they can from the other? Why, why is it an adversarial relationship?
0: Well, because it's in their self-interest. Too. And, and both okay, of their well, self-interests... Let,
1: let me just ask then. So this, the, let's take the employer. The employer once has a job. It, like He's created a job in his company, and he needs someone to fill that job, right? And therefore yes. there's a job opportunity. What is the employer interested in? What what is he most interested in?
0: Yeah, he's most interested in filling that vacant position with a qualif- with a laborer who's as qualified and as capable as possible, okay. while costing as little as possible.
1: Why why is the costing as little as possible important? Because you see, it seems like a
0: secondary uh, consideration. Oh no, it's absolutely not secondary. Because you, uh, even- the cost. Even the by, cost of his production is going to determine his profitability.
1: No, no, the revenue is going to be determined his prof- profitability.
0: Revenue and cost, like pr- profit, by definition, is R- the uh,
1: right. But if he if he has okay, so you yourself replied to me right now. I think in the correct order. You said someone filled the job to be as productive as possible. That was the prime. That that's definitely the primary concern. So if you have someone, even if you pay, pay them a little bit more, but they're more productive, that is. More beneficial because that serves the primary, um, n- primary condition for the job.
0: I would argue both are kind of equal in that sense. Uh, both are equal, and both have to meet a certain threshold. And and can uh, basically the cost can't be too high, the qualification can't be too low. And past that, they kind of have to balance each other out.
1: I, I don't. I'm not sure if the qualifications are relevant. I'm just meaning. For, well about, qualification
0: is in the, the benefit the uh, the employer is gonna get out of it.
1: Right. So if, if if the employer gets someone, okay, let's let's put it like this. If the employer gains someone hires someone, sorry, that is very, very productive, should they give them a raise?
0: Mm. Potentially. It de- de- depends on how they perceive the marketability of that employee, right? Like, like if, they, if, if, if they are productive because of something that's on their CV and something that's going to increase their market value, then yeah, they should likely give that employee a raise to make sure that no other employer uh, snatches them away.
1: Okay, but uh, they don't necessarily know if that additional productivity to their business translates into additional productivity in someone else's business. It could be that they're, they're just very good in their, only in their business because of certain reasons. So if they are more productive, should they give them a raise without, cons- without factoring market conditions?
0: Uh, no, unless that raise is going to be used as an incentive for the, for the laborer to become even more productive. But if there's no reason to it assume... Could be so become,
1: that, a raise could make them more productive.
0: I would say it's, like, it's, it's basically a co- uh, cost-benefit analysis, right?
1: Well, I'm asking you to do that.
0: Well it depends on the circumstance but well, is I'm, I'm, th-
1: I'm trying I'm trying to make the the case that the productivity is important the salary the pro- productivity is most important salary is secondary I'm not saying it's not important but secondary to productivity What what if, what if we hire someone very cheap but the productivity is equally not great
0: uh, Then then he could hire another cheap person and basically hi- it depends on the ratio he, of the productivity He right? could hire
1: what if, what if you get you have one person who's very productive but but you know costs more versus two people who are cheaper but have lower productivity than the one person?
0: That could be a, a calculation that works out in the end.
1: So if if you like you know if you have it depends a m-
0: on the business and what your goals are. If you have a business, okay. if if the position is just hard labor, then the people who are less productive are probably going to be better for you. But if if it's a posi- position where you want to see innovation. Then you sorry, might sorry. Probably, uh, consider the one who's more productive
1: sorry if it's hard labor if someone is less productive then it's better for you why is that?
0: Uh, I'm, I'm saying if it's if it's solely hard labor mm-hmm. then the chance then then you get uh, then you might get more out of it by hiring but by just hiring two less productive laborers who co- also cost less
1: okay so but <laughs> because, if, if, uh, even in, even in physical labor you have people who are better at physical things than others.
0: Of course, and and what I'm saying is uh, it doesn't have the same benefit as it does for for certain mental tasks where there's innovations to be made.
1: Well, I I agree that, you know, people should and in general I think this is the case that people start their career in some sort of minimum wage like teenage teenage job and then they Find a particular skill set, they marketable skill set. Obviously, they they perfect it, and over time, you know, they command a the higher and higher salary. And I think that is generally the trend. If you see people uh, on minimum wage, typically they're very young, like between the age of sixteen and twenty-four. And uh, throughout your career, you you know you increase your salary towards and and obviously at some point save towards your your pension. And then to, and then after you retire you you use that pension.
0: Yeah, that's generally how it works.
1: And pension, of, oh, course, of course, is a,
0: of course how much you increase your salary is gonna depend on a lot of things. Sure. But even just like having the work experience is generally gonna uh result in increases to your wage.
1: Right. So it's so if we're saying like it's only um it's only minimum wage physical labor that that can't be like the place you stay in it your entire career, you have to like move up from that in some sort of way to improve your, your marketable skills.
0: Oh No, I would disagree there. I think there's a lot of people who never really, who, who never really move up the hierarchy. They, they still get paid more because their work experience is going to look a lot better okay. on, their, on their resume, which in turn is going to increase their market value, which in turn puts pressure on the employer to pay them better. But aside from that, th- there's many people who simply... Uh, I, 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 there's uh, it, It's a mix of factors, right? There's some people who don't desire it. There's some people who think it's too much for them to handle in their current life situation. It's all, all sorts of reasons, really. Okay, that,
1: that's actually a good point that you're making. So if someone doesn't want to work hard or doesn't want to improve their marketable skills, should you still then support that person through your taxes?
0: Hmm... Sure, yes. Uh, you should support them to the extent to which firstly they, they, they still need to su- survive and they still contribute towards society, right? So well, I, I, think,
1: I, think, I think the survival I mean, look, if, if they're still working, they can survive. They, they can achieve survival easily.
0: Um, yeah, right. So, so what I'm saying is like, why don't, why wouldn't we support them with So if, if, they stop, if they stop
1: working and they say, I just don't want to. It's not for
0: me. Mm, I've, I've varying opinions on that. Basically, my ideal for like people who just refuse to work mm-hmm. would probably to support them for a few years and then increasingly put more pressure on them to get therapy and that sort of stuff. Because I fundamentally believe that if, per- if a person just doesn't want to work at all, there's probably something going on there that needs help. And, that, and then increasingly if they like keep refusing to work and like not like therapy and stuff like that doesn't work then yeah you should probably like cut down on spending to put some external pressure onto them because some people just need external pressure right i'm not denying that
1: so are you saying that they are making the wrong self-interested choices for themselves and we need society to come in and force them to improve themselves
0: I would say they are making the wrong decision for themselves, and we need society to come in and give them a nod into the right direction. A, n- a nudge, yeah? Yes.
1: I see, okay. Um, okay, so I've made the point earlier that profit, you know, in large part has is a, f- a major factor in uh, us, in, in the West, for example, gaining a lot of wealth. Any country I, I, I could add also oh, and,
0: and quicker quick addendum on the whole uh, they aren't they are refusing to work but obviously if we find out that they actually like have a mental condition that prevents them from working, obviously that is then another story and which you know there would be would obviously be more leniency there
1: uh, but, yeah, yeah so I mean would... I mean there is there is also a there can always be like a point where, where you or I can say that some people have reached a situation where they cannot work for no fault of their own. Either by accident or by accident of birth or something like that, um, mm. but I would say that statistically that is a, a tiny, tiny minority, and it cannot be a high minori- a high mi- high majority or high minority because just like as a species, we won't be able to survive over over like ma- centuries if if that was constantly the case, so its all, it has to be like a small a tiny minority
0: which yeah, no, you no, know, I just wanted to make clear that I'm not advocating for like just letting disabled people starve on the streets. <laughs>
1: Well, they can always go to Canada and get made. Who knows? Um, Anyways, continue. Yeah, so I made the point that I I linked the vast wealth that nations accrued since the Enlightenment, like la- largely the last two hundred fifty years. The the hockey stick graph, where you see like all of history, where we had no wealth, or wealth was just concentrated like by a few kings and aristocrats, to everyone having wealth, everyone having resources, and I'm. And I made the case that it is profit and the attitude towards profit and free markets. And also like, let's say, um, uh, legal rights, individual rights, things of that nature that has led us to, to have the wealth. So ju- just from a utilitarian standpoint, I'm going to delve into your world a little bit here. Just from, a utilita- you. just from a utilitarian, standpoint, um, taking that away or even like tweaking, it doesn't seem like a good idea because we are creating wealth. We're creating lots of resources. We're producing a lot of things that, and um, ev- we can get to a stage where everyone has access to resources via this system. The more we continue with it, so why would we abandon that? What is the, well, c- the what arg- is the point you are making?
0: My argument there would be: firstly, ju- we know that the system works better than previous systems, right? I I wouldn't contend that at all. What I would contend, though, is the idea that we couldn't do better, and that's basically the point of this discussion, right? whether there's issues with the current system that stop us from progressing as fast as we could. What, and I, will, I would make the case that that is the case. That do, the profit do, motive as an incentive structure does uh, do, do, it doesn't, yes?
1: Doing better, expand on, on doing better. What does doing better mean?
0: I would say doing better as, a, well, that's again, to me as a utilitarian, doing better for me would entail that we Increase well-being and avoid suffering to whatever extent is ideal, and obviously that could, uh, that includes both short-term and long-term. So, for example, let's let's say let's say socialism was feasible, but it would lead to zero economic growth. Right, we would just stay where we currently are. In mm-hmm. that case, capitalism, long term, probably would lead to better results because then there would still be economic growth, and we would. S- but, but, but basically, it's the difference between all remaining at the current place, but all being happy and all raising further and further, and that the baseline of happiness being raised up that way.
1: Well, I would say, like just just looking, yes. you are you are based in Europe, correct? Yes. Right. So, Europe and the UK basically has not grown economically since 2007-2008. So if, you're, if you want a snapshot of what it looks like without any economic... And, and I mean there's been ups and downs, but, but on the whole, I mean, the UK has not gotten back to the GDP per capita they did in 2007. And essentially, if you take the, the euro as a block, it's a flat line um, for the last 15 years. So if you're interested in looking at no economic growth and... Government playing a very, very large role in the economy, high taxation, high government spending, high regulation. You can you can look at Europe.
0: Uh, I would have to see those numbers.
1: Just quickly Google it. It's just look at do GDP per capita yes. two thousand. Yeah, uh, yeah. p- pick a European country like let's a large one. Let's say over to, over twenty million. I picture picked Germany.
0: I don't know, in Germany, the GDP seems to have been rising continuously.
1: It, all, it goes down and it goes up, but overall in the last 15 years. So let, let's let's put it this way, right? In
0: 2007 it, it uh, yeah. 2007, it was, let's see. 2007, it was at um, 42,000 uh, 40, uh, million, I guess. And then now it's at 59,000
1: million. Do per capita.
0: It is per capita. Hold well on. It grows so, per, per capita in current prices from... Wait, let me just send you the image. I don't know if it's adjusted for... Uh... Also, yeah, it's in current prices, so it's adjusted for inflation.
1: Well, it looks like Germany has grown a bit. UK, on the other hand, has not. Well, it if, yeah. if you take the whole block... If you take Germany and all the other countries,
0: let me let me see. Uh, let's just go EU GDP per capita per year. United States. Sorry, projected. Uh, I don't know if that accounts for inflation and stuff, but it would be another girl. Oh, did you send me something? But that's still rising, right? Well, actually, uh, the USA. The USA so right. the USA has been rising. Uh, the Japan has not.
1: Well, Japan. You know. You know Japan. Yeah.
0: And yeah, but well, well, it, it seems like it's projected to rise again, though, right?
1: Well, uh, the European the European Union has uh, spent two trillion euros recently to stimulate the economy, as they do. And uh, nothing has been stimulated. Uh, I think it was called the next generation stimulus package. And uh, bear in mind what what this means. It essentially means let's just I'm um, simplifying a little, but it essentially means the EU has or will tax the economy and then spend and then take that money that they tax the economy from and then spend it on particular things, even if it's through bonds or or printing money, it it will still have to come from taxes at some point. And they spend it on particular things, and they assume that these particular things will increase growth, and they have not. And uh, even at the time of Juncker, like there was a job growth one, nothing, in in stimulus packet, nothing happened. There was a second, I forget the name of, I can probably bring it up, that nothing happened. So if you're looking at flatlining and increasing costs, and actually I I can show you, I can show you basically, but...
0: You could argue that that those stimulus where are used to avert uh, down, a downfall in you know economic growth right right so, so just the, that the, that the graph itself is flat doesn't tell us well uh, doesn't so tell the, us much about the effect of those programs
1: so the 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 thing with that is that the idea of what you said is that you don't want to lose productivity you don't want to lose the momentum in quotations of the economy during a downturn and then you want to stimulate the economy during a difficult period and then expect it at the to come out of there uh, with a higher GDP or higher GDP per capita, that you can then pay off the stimulus that you did. So the expectation I mean, is
0: I have the idea behind Keynesian economics: virtues. Right? You well, invest let's just, in the downturns and collect taxes in the upturns.
1: Yeah, yeah. But the idea there is that you are preventing like a recession or or, or a, a serious reduction in demand, let's say, and you are you're easing that off by giving people money or stimulating certain things that whatever. And um, the idea is that when you come out of it, you make more money and you pay that back off. But basically the idea is that you, you are not stalling the productivity of the country, or you are keeping the productivity of the country in an upwards direction. The UK has been on a, I don't know about Germany, I, I guess it's better, but the UK's productivity is very, very poor, and has been since the 1960s, even compared to France and Germany. Um, but especially since 2007. So even if, let's say, we get a stimulus now, it w- it won't mean that at the end of the stimulus we'll have higher productivity because we haven't had in two decades.
0: I don't know. If I look at a lot of graphs about the GDP of the UK and current prices, it still seems to be going up. Right? Let me send you a few.
1: GDP out, outright? Just the GDP? Sure, that the real GDP will grow.
0: GDP per capita in corn prices. Yeah.
1: Well, if if even if you look at even if you look at that graph you sent me, you can see like from two thousand eight two thousand seven. It's only a a little... Yeah, okay, it's gone up and down, but this is kind of the point. It's only grown a tiny amount above that. What what country is this? Oh, United Kingdom. Yeah, so the 2007, as far as I know, the GDP per capita in dollars is 51,000. And I think right now we're on 46 or 43. I'm not sure. 2021 probably. Oh, yeah. But uh, the UK productivity is a known known problem anyway. I'm just saying that. Uh, and and I sorry, can I just uh, take a side step for a second? Um, of course. In addition, we have the NHS. Yeah, I think in in Germany you have like a seventy thirty split or something. We've got a fully nationalized health. Uh, you can correct me, but here in the UK we have very, we
0: have we have, uh, we have public and private yeah. Public is mandatory, and then if you earn enough, you can go you can go private.
1: If you need to use public. Do you pay some money or is it hundred percent covered?
0: Uh, you pay some money. Yes, right, okay, it, so... it's taken from your paycheck, basically.
1: Okay. So no, sorry. If, if, and when you need to use something from. Oh, the... oh
0: no, no, it's, it, it's, it's primary. Like there's some medicine that you have to pay like 10 bucks for, but any doctor's visit and stuff like that is completely covered.
1: And what about an operation?
0: Operations are mostly covered. There's some dental stuff that needs payments. So for example, uh. Oh, what was it? Like, if you need to need a tooth completely replaced, I think that costs some money. Although, there's also uh, there's a there's basically what, what dental, uh, what your health insurance, what our health insurances do is basically if you if you if you have a track record of always going to the dentist and getting the care you need, then you'll get like a great discount on operations like that. Basically, it's to encourage you to actually take care of your teeth. And then if you if you still need it in an operation anyways, you get it for very, very cheap.
1: Okay. um, Oh, okay. Okay. So, sorry. That that's fine. Um, So, in the UK, the we have a fully nationalized healthcare service. We don't have. Oh, we do actually have dentistry, but dentistry is not great. Um, And we do have some health. We do have some private, but uh, it's in addition. You still pay for the for the public and the private you can either pay for yourself or your company may pay for you, but it's it's largely public by by a big stretch.
0: Okay, so you have public and then you can choose to have private on top of that.
1: Yeah, but it's it's not everyone has that. It's like again, yeah. public by a big a big a long way. And all emergencies are are in the NHS. There's there isn't a private version of an emergency service. Okay. Um and you know our uh, kind of the point is that, in addition to the the previous point I made that we're not growing economically very well, at least in the UK, um, the uh, the cost for healthcare has been rising steadily. And and I believe this is any country, really, literally any country. Healthcare costs are going to go up over time. Um, if you go back like from the 1970s to now, it's it's a, st- a straight line up. Any any country you choose that has some sort of even mixed um, government healthcare, the trend is always going up. And the problem that we have, and to your point of of you know reducing suffering and, and everything, and you know what is sort of like a mixed economy where we can reduce the most suffering and still grow economically, it seems to me that governments over time and the government services over time, sorry, uh, increase in costs. And the more that they increase in cost, the more they need to tax the economy. The more they do that, and there's some some other steps that I'm just generalizing for for the sake of the example. The bigger the government, the bigger the government services require the bigger in, in as in more money. The less money there is in the private economy because it's taxed away. The less yeah. money, or the more regulations that the the private economy faces. the, the harder it is it is for grow, to grow. And therefore we have this sort of like shift where the the government grows, but the economy does not. And over time you have a situation where the, the government strangles the economy till the the golden goose basically is dead. And that trend in terms of government services is only going up. I can explain why it's gone up but what are the reasons for it to go up, but it is only going up and it is unsustainable. Certainly in the UK The NHS needs...
0: What would you make of the situation in the US where the healthcare is the the majority of healthcare, the vast majority of it, is privatized and prices per person are higher than in any other developed country, as far as I know.
1: As far as I know, the the government pays for 65% at the very least of all healthcare spending. That means it's majority public public and not private. Obviously there are private, and, and, and even in this in this con in this context, like all pharmaceutical companies are private. You, like a government providing a healthcare service uh, health service, uh, gets its medicine from a private company. Innovations come from a private company. Um, you may have like public private collaboration, but largely it's private. And uh, I wouldn't I would say it's a it's like a Frankenstein hodgepodge of what not to do, and uh, certainly very very heavily regulated. Still, they have a lot of uh, medical innovations coming from there. I would say that the, the best example, and we use this in the UK often, is, is Singapore. We call it Singapore on Thames, but the example is Singapore, a former British colony, um, where, the govern- where the government does very, very little with healthcare spend, but it also makes you save uh, money from your salary towards, if you have healthcare issues, it's like a pot, sorry. It makes you save towards healthcare and then you can choose whatever you want to spend that as long as it's a healthcare-related issue. And the government just lightly, well, I I would say lightly lightly controls um, certain things in the healthcare sector. It lightly subsidizes the poor who need to use the emergency rooms. Uh, But but at least from 2011, 60% of the healthcare spend was out of pocket, and the out of pocket is the free market where you don't have either the government or a um, insurance a, in, insurance company standing in between you and your doctor. Insurance still has a place, but it's more like in case of emergency in case of a large operation that you um, from the emergency that you had to get. these are like extreme cases that you need insurance for it's not It's not there to cover regular medicine that shouldn't be very expensive because of, you know, a variety of different reasons in the US. Um, So the way that it should be on the free market more approach is out of pocket and insurance for extreme cases.
0: And your only, I guess, do you, do you have like a logical argument for why that should be the case or would you just point at Singapore? Because I feel so like... Uh, the, logical,
1: the logical argument is that this is the only way that prices would not go up over time, would go, would go down over time. The market in and of itself, just, just by its nature, reduces price and increases quality. That's, that's its thing. Like You take um, television sets, mobile phones, cars to some degree. Um, these are things that over time um go go down in price i mean more or less but tend to go down in price and go up in value if if they stay the same price but at least go up in value at the very least in the case of mobile phones let's say um this is the only way that we can reduce the price of these costs if you take uh, eye surgery for like uh you know not like for lasik eye surgery if you if you take the cosmetic industry which is you know it's it's not exactly a, an Apple Store oranges comparison, but they do go down in costs over time, and they are part of the market. So the only way to reduce costs long term is to put things in the market. And then if you say, well, look, some people, um, you know, need some extra help. Sure, le- you can you can arrange something to help them through voluntary means. I would say, but even even let's say, let's say I'll, I'll bite the bullet and say it's not voluntary means. If it's much, much cheaper to help them, then it's still a good thing
0: only that the primary or like i guess a big mechanism by which the market cuts prices is by innovating
1: yeah innovation, improvements in productivity
0: so what, uh, what reason do you, what reason do you have to believe that uh, government services couldn't have similar levels of innovation, especially since so much they have no incentive
1: to they don't know. They have no incentive to, they don't have the profit motive. That's a, that's a feature, not a bug. They don't, they should, you, you would not want them to have the profit
0: motive. Uh, So you think innovation requires the profit motive to be incentivized?
1: I mean, I'm obviously giving like a a, a blanket statement very quickly, but I would say largely. Well, let's say
0: say the, the profit motive is a better incentive for innovation.
1: I mean yeah, then, I, w- I, I would say so. I mean I'm, I mean I'm happy that you could say something and maybe I can tweak my statement but on on the face of it yes.
0: Okay, so um by that do you mean the innovations themselves or investment into the innovations because most innovators are sit in research and development departments where they are paid a wage, right? So they don't have an immediate profit motive. They don't reap the benefits of the product being sold directly. They just get paid a wage that's usually going to be very high if they're good at their job. No, most, they, they uh, most
1: most researchers are not in an office. They get, they get money from particular things. And um, it can be the case that it's like a biotech startup that's trying to solve something, like in the case of BioNTech for the Pfizer vaccine. Uh, it can be the case that it's a university university research team. Um, it is not the case that it's just like a clerk somewhere making innovation happen. I mean, you could you you could say there's two ways of looking at innovation.
0: Well, in all these cases, like the innovator himself. No, I, I isn't I, the guy who actually sells the product, right?
1: No, I'll, I'll explain. So yes, there's. You can look at the, innova- the way to get innovations in two ways. One is the entrepreneur sitting in his garage, and you know, looking at some kind of niche in the market, some kind of need that's missing, uh, and then getting like uh, putting together different scientific uh, advances from other places, putting them together, creating a product or service to serve that need, and then giving it to the market where it did not exist before. That's the, on the one side, and that is. Extremely important for uh, improving the quality of life and economic growth. And then, on the other hand, you can you can say that there's incremental um, innovation to something that already exists. And then you have like a, a sort of methodical process that capitalism also has done well to improve, where you slowly, incrementally improve an existing something, and then at some point it like it reaches a point where it's significantly better, significantly. Be- uh, cheaper, or significantly better quality, but it's the same thing. Uh, but it's not like a revolutionary difference; it's just incremental improvement. Sorry, that's what I meant to say.
0: Uh, how much, how much, how much, especially of like scientific breakthroughs and that sort of stuff, do you think is made up of entrepreneurial activity? Like literally, a guy is sitting down in his garage, right, I guess, getting a loan from a bank, making opening his own uh, office, and then getting to it himself. No, how that, much you're,
1: you're uh, confusing two think it's not that the it's not that the guy in the garage is a is a scientist. He's in fact not a scientist. It, it, there's two different ways of looking at it. It's a innovation and invention. A, a scientist will have an invention or or discover something. A businessman or entrepreneur will take is like the is the intermediary between the science and you. He gets the science from from where it's been discovered uses it in a particular, understands how it's used, understand where it's beneficial, puts together a product from it, and then sells you a product that improves your life. That, the innovation, it's not like a lab coat person, it's an entrepreneur. He's, he's your middleman between the science and you.
0: Okay, but then my point stands, right? How much of that form of innovation... Is made by the the little entrepreneur guy who has his, who ma- who opens his own startup, and how much of it is happening, basically in already established companies by uh, by research and development stuff that's getting paid a set wage.
1: Well, it's not research and development stuff.
0: Or then who is it?
1: Well, it will be more like a like a product manager or something. Is that what you're referring to? Like, how do you get the innovations, the market innovations? It on, new...
0: I guess it depends on the company how, how they have their own the entire hierarchy structure. But yeah, but yeah, sure. But basically, what I'm saying is that in the companies hmm? there are people who make the innovations and who are getting paid a wage for it. Well, it's, so it's not it's not let, the company owner who does the innovations in most cases, right?
1: It it is okay. So let's com- let's based on your on your question, let's compare two countries, and you tell me, and I'll try to be as close to your question as I possibly can. Let's take Europe and let's take America. Yeah? America has the Silicon Valley. A lot of new innovation coming from there. Very revolutionary. We've got we've got AI coming soon. Chat GPT just came from there. Uh very, very big deal. A bunch of, I don't know, five people, ten people. I don't know. The, the team that did ChatGPT GPT four was was four people. And this has profound impact on the rest of the world. Yeah, Tiny, tiny company, they, they had big investment, I think, at, by that point. But um, tiny company, huge influence on the rest of the world. And then you take Europe. Europe does not have a presence in the tech industry at all. The vast majority of the companies in Europe are oil companies, uh, insur- not even insurance, oil companies, fashion companies, something that's been around for a very long time. That's the, 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 the thing with Europe. And there, you know, let's say in a car company, car companies, let's say there you can, you know, improve, you you put your R&D money in, you slowly improve the engine. So it's 2% faster than the year before the brakes are 2% better than the year before. And in that kind of scenario, yes, you have like people working in R&D and and that's the scenario you you described. Now, in your opinion, which one has a bigger impact on the globe?
0: well obviously ai right but that's an individual example there are many other inventions like the internet computation all that stuff mm-hmm. that had like a great involvement of the public sector and even with AI, as far as so i know you're, there's like you're you're wrong, like,
1: you're wrong with regards to the to the internet and it's it's very upsetting okay so let's let's look at it like this right so you think that the public sector has has a heavy influence on everything Maybe you'll suggest you haven't said this, but but you are quoting someone that I know that is saying that, um, and lives in the UK as well. That everything that we see today, the government had some involvement in, like tiny bit, and therefore because because like uh, it's like a it's like a game of go where you have like you know a line of of uh, eight white pebbles, and if if the government spent like a thousand dollars giving someone in, in the whole line of pebbles. They put a black pebble and the whole row of pebbles, like the internet, it's all government, massive government. Uh, I
0: would make that argument.
1: No, it's not. So, the, the, the government, the thing with the internet, and, and I would say this to begin with if, if the government has a particular role, it would be the military. Because uh, the military is charged with protecting the citizens from outside invaders. And if the military has a particular requirement, it is perfectly within their rights to to pay for it because there is there shouldn't be necessarily a market in force. in In my opinion, there should not be a market in force. That should not exist. No. And if the military says we are in the 1970s, we are concerned because there w- there was an internet like there was like a a sort of communication system back then. It was just like a sort of hub and spoke method where you had to go through different um, uh, centralized hubs. Of, of communication. And the, the military was concerned that if the enemy bombs these um, these uh, communication hubs, which were private, then there would be like a great deal of loss of communication and confusion and they didn't want it. So they spent money on, in, on working on something towards the internet, which is, to me, perfectly fine. And then like from the 70s to like, the 80s, they kind of handed it off to uh, university people who were using it to communicate between, between each other. Then from that point to what we have today, there was an immense amount of money poured in by the private sector as well as tweaking the, the, the core algorithms and the core technologies that led to what we have today now if, even if the government did not wish to spend that money we would still have had the internet just it would have been less fault tolerant because the government because the military sorry needed something fault tolerant that was the the requirement that that's fine if if the military for example now invests in some kind of drone technology and then that technology leaked towards regular drones that you know that you can buy that's still fine, from my point of view, because they don't have a market for that. Like, they needed something that didn't exist, and, and they wanted to pay for it, for the research. That's still prerogative. That's fine. That's not to say that the government is some sort of oracle, and they can predict what kind of, um, that, a, that a bureaucrat can predict what kind of technology will be used in the future, like the internet, and, and invest in it in the future, and therefore reduce the uncertainty for regular companies to then come in and, and invest when it's easier. That's not the that wasn't wasn't what happened.
0: Oh no, I agree, but I guess there would I would make the point that like we live in a society that's mature, where like the majority of economic activity comes from the private sector, right so you that that's what you would expect to see, right? You wouldn't what? expect to to well, you would expect the private sector to do all these refinements since that's what the government expects the private sector to do
1: but if 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 the military needs something that's not available in the market, they have full right to to fund that because they need it like if if they need a, a that's machi- what they do, right? if that they need sucks. yeah, if they need a machine gun that fires like way faster than a regular machine gun i I don't expect them like to go shopping in, in the market. they'll have to like pay someone or they themselves will develop it or sorry innovate it to the point to what they need
0: yeah, but my my point is there is no government institution that then takes those innovations and makes them more accessible to the consumers, right? The government gives those innovations to the market so that then the market can... They, use will, those sell, the they will sell the that's patents.
1: Not, they will sell
0: the patents. Yes and, and, and yes, and that doesn't mean that the government would necessarily be less efficient at doing so. It just means that in our current parad- paradigm, that's what that, that's just not something the government is concerned with. They, they, they no, say... They- the, they, they see that as the purpose of the free market. So of course, the free market is going to take care of that.
1: Right, but they would not be able to predict what the free market will need 10, 20 years in advance. They, they, yes, they, uh, they do what they need to do. They follow their own requirements. And if there's a happy accident, where someone in the private sector wants to buy their patent, they'll, they'll pay for. It. Like they're, they're happy to sell it. It, it. They make money from it.
0: Yeah, yeah, I don't disagree. I just don't really see how that, I, I guess I, do, I don't see how that proves how the free markets inherent, inherently has more potential for innovation.
1: Because the free markets are focused on, on customers, the needs of customers, and the government is focused, or the military, let's say, is focused on their needs, not the needs of the customers in the market and improving their lives.
0: Yeah, because they have been given the task to focus on something else, right? If you have a, had a government institution that's focused on the task of satisfying customers,
1: well, we we have seen that. We've certainly seen that tr- being tried.
0: Uh, could you could you like go into depth and, uh, into detail on that? Sure. The USSR,
1: oh, USSR, East Germany. They they tried towards the end to make uh, consumer goods. They failed miserably.
0: Oh, and sure, but there was were tons of other issues with these systems, right? Let me guess,
1: bureaucracy? As if we don't have any of that now?
0: Actually, on the topic of bureaucracy, I think something that we, I think something that is often kind of overlooked by advocates of the of the private sector is that there's also tons of bureaucracy in the private sector, right? Like every every single big firm has like a massive uh, accounting and bookkeeping te- uh, keeping department in it. So I, w- I wouldn't necessarily say bureaucracy, right? I would more no, bur- no. say like oh, the on. centralization hold itself, the, the narrowness of where, how on. the plans hold are
1: made. Hold on. Bureaucracy is a huge, huge problem for the for the economy. And there's a difference. And I'm, I I would say outright, because I worked with companies that, that were very large. There is a problem with bureaucracy inside companies, but there is a substantial difference between bureaucracy in the government and how it affects the economy versus bureaucracy in a large business. Let, let's, what is the difference? Sure. Let's say that um, let's take two scenarios. Let's say the, the, the government uh, bureaucrats in the government want to make uh, something safer and then they, they look to the market, they say, well we need this to be safe this to be safer and, and if you want to sell this product, you, n- you need to get a license and approval from us before you can even sell it versus um, a company saying we need to make this the specific product safer because uh, our consumers are interested in safety and safety would be considered part of the quality of the product. Like a c- the product doesn't kill you or product makes you extra safe. That's, that's A car, let's say, has five stars on some magazine that it's safe uh, and you've got kids, so you're more concerned about safety for your, for your children. You'll seek that car with, with more safety stars because that to you translates as, as a quality and value. Um, so the difference between the two is that um, this is a bit difficult for me to explain. But the government basically just puts like a sort of review process that you have to pass, and that review process keeps changing. Um, in in the the point of regulation, it is how it is both harder to get approval for regulation, and it it's both reduces the safety of the product. It I can I can only explain in the following way. So let's say um, I have to jump to a different example to housing.
0: Since well, let, let me stop you there for, just for a second. Uh, yeah. To me, what you are talking about seems less so about the nature of the bureaucracy itself and more so just about like another point in which the government isn't as effective as it could uh, as the private sector which is an argument no no you can it make. It, it, it is discussed it about, but. Let,
1: let me let me finish the example Then uh, I'll try to so let's take housing housing in the UK has gotten worse and worse and houses need to be repaired sooner than they did from how comp- when compared to houses from the 1980s or the late 80s so if a house was built in the early 2000s things would fail within nine to ten years and you have to pay like several thousands of pounds to fix it. Why? We've had more regulations here and the developers just have to meet regulations. They don't have to go above and beyond. They don't have to do extra safe. And in fact, doing extra safe or, or if they go, if they do something different than the regulation, which, which is objectively safer, but uh, it's not the regulations, then they'll have to go through a really painful journey with the bureaucrats to to prove that it is better or safer and the bureaucrats just know, well this is safe according to our schematics and we want you to do this. So it's actually e- it's actually easier for the for the developers to just meet regulations and, and not try any harder. It's 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 a sort of like mind-numbing thing. Like the regulations say this, shut your mind off, just do what you're told. And then in the case of where I gave an, the example of, of an extra safe car, uh there are companies like um, Mercedes and Renault which try above and beyond. We we'll go above and beyond because that's um, something that their customers value. And when you have like a sort of internal to the company, even a bureaucratic company, when you when you have internal to the company saying we want extra extra safety, there are production um, methodologies such as lean manufacturing, uh, Six Sigma, Toyota Production System total quality management. These are all systems that take uh, issues with safety um, as sort of part of like a, a design of the product of the overall quality of the product, and it's factored in to the overall product. So when you inject safety at the company level of that product, the company will just take it as feedback on how to make our product better. When you inject the safety at the, at the level of the state, then it's like bureaucrats don't care how much it costs you, if it ruins your profit, if, it, if, it, if a, a better thing, you think a better thing is, would do something better, they don't care. You follow exactly what we say and shut up. And you have to meet our criteria. And that's a sort of like mind numbing thing where you're no longer engaging with the customer, you're engaging with the bureaucrat.
0: I would agree. I would agree that that's a bad policy, right? Whenever you disincentivize the thing, you actually you actually want it to incentivize, then that's obviously not a good policy.
1: Well, but but take but here is another example of what the profit motive well, is. You would is. have
0: to substantiate why that nece- why that is necessarily the or like that's necessarily a likely outcome for a government, especially you, if you implement more accountability measures that allow people to you know democratically uh, give feedback to the people making those laws so that they have some pressure on them to keep those laws in line with what the people want.
1: Okay, hold on. First of all, you have not, everything you say now has no effect at all on the government. The government has no effect on the, go- on the Your public representative has no effect on the government, in a sense. The, the government, as it stands now, is a large bureaucratic body. Massive. Imagine like a like a bureaucratic blob, one kilometer wide, yes, yeah, circumference of one kilometer, and your tiny ants of of uh, of a, of a represent, democratic representative tries to nip at the at the edges to make a change. They have the 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 bureaucrats, the unelected bureaucrats. Sorry, they are the eyes and ears of the politicians. The politician doesn't know anything until the bureaucrats feeds them information. They tell the bureaucrats what it is that they want, and the bureaucrat does the wording for, for what they want. And then it's like injected into this, like a series of laws that are added to this large blob, and it's even more rigid to make changes. So you saying we can fix it is out of the question. I'll give you an example. Joe Biden had a problem with the baby formula a year and a half ago, I think. Um mm. there was, a baby well, yeah, formula- was
0: the baby formula like there was a shortage of baby th- formula right? there was there
1: was a shortage only only one uh, manufacturer was allowed to exist because of the FDA baby formulas also come in are also part of a public welfare system for for mothers who need to feed children so it's like it's a whole thing where you get approved it's only you right and then it feeds into this whole other supply chain which which the government is already part of and in addition there was um tariffs, large tariffs on um baby formula coming in from Europe and Canada. Mm. Biden could not change any of these. He literally had the, the easiest way was to take a military aircraft and fly baby formula. I don't remember from where. Fly baby formula in. That was the easiest route. Like he couldn't do anything on the bureaucratic side. This was like the easiest way. So
0: and if you think about oh, you like, wouldn't want, you wouldn't want the president to just randomly change laws like that, right? Like that—that's well, kind he, of. The he, intent- could,
1: he could do like. <laughs> this is the thing. Like um, bureaucracy, in a sense, is a way of preventing totalitarian governments, isn't it? It's like you have a system of laws, then you you can't have like someone with infinite power because they have to follow all these laws. Therefore, there's but less. Like,
0: like, it kind of becomes its own. Yeah, entity yeah. and yeah. I mean, yeah. I could see it happening, right? Which is part of the reason for why I advocate for more decentralization and more democracy. I, I just, I, I guess, I don't really see it quite as bleak as you do, but I definitely see your point. It's certainly a part of the reason for why I want decentralization. So, but, some, to, we don't to, entirely disagree. To with some,
1: that. To some degree. Let me let me also feed this in back to our main topic of profit. The the government isn't control isn't concerned in profit, and to some degree, these uh, these regulations are they don't care about profit, and they could actually reduce your ability to make a profit because you have to meet certain regulations. Now, if if in the previous example we said we want a car that has more more safety because we see it as as a as a sort of uh, more quality to the product, oh. a company could still. Make that car more affordable through uh, automation, through productivity increases, through more innovation. Well, you can still achieve safety, but something can be done through in, in a cheaper way or a faster way. You get, or you get a bigger machine that produces these things faster and more, and therefore they're cheaper. But with, but with the bureaucracy, it's intentionally designed to deprioritize profit that that that's the idea like and and everyone would agree like we want safety to go above, well, that, that's, above that's profit
0: li- that's, literally, that, that's literally the point right right we that, want we want safety exactly
1: we want safety above profit but in a company setting you could do both
0: and um, not necessarily. well depends right but well i suggest
1: i suggest you look at six sigma i'm pretty sure like you guys have a have a lot of like manufacturing stuff over there so, Six Sigma, Total Quality Management, all these kinds of manufacturing methodologies to both increase quality and reduce the uh, reduce uh, waste, reduce uh, defects, reduce issues. And there's there's a whole very interesting, uh, you know, body of knowledge in this area.
0: Well, how about we talk about a few cases where it might be justified to put regulations about profit? So let, let's stay with the example of car security, right? Yeah, I'm, so, so what, uh, just what, just
1: before you say, no one's interested in their customers dying, right?
0: Oh, uh, depends when that's not, that's,
1: that's not the best way of making a profit, right? Killing your customers uh, is, is not a good way of making a profit, right?
0: It depends entirely on the cost.
1: So you're saying yes?
0: It, it, I, I'm saying, uh, let's, let's say there's a chance that after two years of owning the car, there, there's like a, let's say, 20% chance of your, of your brakes not working correctly. Okay, so let's say. If the cost for fixing that is sufficiently high, then yes, the company has an incentive to ignore that.
1: Okay, why would it be, an in, why would it even incentivize them to risk the life of their own customers now or in the future?
0: Well, because firstly, you don't know if that customer is going to return to you. Secondly, because the company has already made his purchase, so he's already given you his money and does. Okay, it so you're looking
1: you're looking at it a very in a very irrational, short-term, self-destructive way for the company itself. How long does it take to build a company to get to this level? How many years? How much? How well, much capital?
0: Well, well, a long time, right? But as long as people aren't able, right, uh,
1: to... Let, let me let's, let bit. me wait. Hold on. Let me just let me just stay on this yes. point, right? So. Uh, and, and it's important we're say, we're saying we're thinking short term we're thinking irrational and we're thinking self destructive and i'm saying if you think like that in general you'll be out of business very quick i, I can just make that claim now well, I would in it, sure now in addition i would also make the claim that to get to the point where you're selling cars to to, to customers you have to spend millions of dollars you have to get investment many, many years to get your uh, facilities up and running, hire the right people, pass all the checks, get to something that the market even knows you exist and people like to buy and want to buy from you. And now you have a certain reputation, right? You, you've you worked hard to get a certain reputation. Now continue. Would you like to, from that point on, after investing all this time, money, energy, everything, would you like to sacrifice that on, on a short-term irrational, destructive, self-destructive thing?
0: yes firstly, because it's not necessarily self destructive secondly because the the cost you save by not taking the safety measures can then be reinvested and lead to more productivity so it's it's, it's not just that like it's it's so not you, you, you realize
1: short-term. so obviously you're talking bullshit if if you harm oh, no, no alex explain, I'll, I'll explain if you harm if you harm your customers and let's say a minority of people say let let's say you do injure and 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 i would i would add that if if someone bought a if someone bought a product from you and they it resulted in them injuring themselves, they could take you to court. That they could take you to court anyway. That's the prerogative. Now, if you have a situation where you're trying to make a reputation for yourself as, as a new car company after investing lots and lots of money, and then there's a rumor in the market that you are unsafe and you kill your customers. And it becomes more and more public, right? You lose your reputation. And people, you know, they have a choice between cars. They, they can choose yours. They could choose a hundred other places. Why would they choose yours when there's even a rumor that they could, you know, endanger themselves or their family or whoever's driving with them? Why would they do that? So doing something as silly and self-destructive as what you're saying is will destroy the company in a matter of one or two years, according to you.
0: Well, you're kind of presupposing the first that it's gonna come out that easily. When I would say it's gonna, if it's for example a safety flaw that reveals itself after like five years, right? It's going to take a long time. And then even once it comes out, there's easy. Okay, so how, you can how would
1: you do. how would you know that it is the car's fault after five years?
0: That's the issue. That's what I'm saying. You don't. No, how would how would the,
1: who would know who would know that it is the fault of the car within five years? Because I'm telling you, I I have a I had a house that within five years I had to change. Like, uh, well, five to eight years, let's say, had to change like a, a large part of it because the developers didn't build it properly the first time. Now, who, who, how would it, how would I know that it's the developers, or it's wear and tear, or it's the way I use the house? Who would know? If it's so much in the future, how do you know?
0: You mean from the moment of buying or once it has happened? Yeah, from the moment
1: of buying, from the moment of building it.
0: Uh, for you personally, I don't think there's much any, you any do, company, an expert.
1: How would any company know that that's what's going to happen?
0: You mean like how would the builder know that he didn't do a good job?
1: Yeah, how would the car manufacturer know that he didn't do, do, didn't do a good job? How would the builder do he didn't do a good job? If they followed, let's say, the regulations, if they did whatever they were told to do and it still happened, how would they know it uh, It was them?
0: What if it still happened and you can run tests and stuff like that?
1: What tests can you run that you can that will happen in eight years. You're gonna bash the car with like a, a hammer for eighteen for eight consecutive years, and then it blows up. It's, oh, that's what the problem was.
0: No, you would take out the parts that you think caused them, and then put them in a condition. Like I guess that would increase tear and like um make the process a lot faster. You would also do logical extrapolations. I okay, guess. Can- and see- if, if, There's let's things say, let, can do, right? let, that let's say, because at this point we are fortune telling, but
1: let's basically we're blaming them for some, we're blaming someone for something that happened eight, eight, five to eight years in the future, right? So if, if, uh, let's say, and this does happen, uh, a car manufacturer learns that there is a problem with the cars that they sold and they do a recall and they, they pay like uh, local. Uh, car mechanics to replace a particular part. They'll provide the part. They'll provide the the payment for it. And it was only on a few, on, on on a selected model. And then just okay. This is the easiest way to to solve the problem. We'll do a recall. We'll fix. We'll send them the part. We'll pay someone to fix it, not the owner, and it will be fine.
0: Yeah. Uh, well, obviously, in that case, the cost would be greater than. Would likely be greater than just fixing the problem in the first place. Well, why, right? why, should, I why, why
1: should they do a recall to begin with? They, ov- they obviously do recalls, but why should they? Should they not do recalls? Who's forcing them to do recalls?
0: Yeah, they would have to an- analyze the situation. They analyze the situation. The image
1: they analyze the situation. They decide to do a recall. You're saying it's against their benefit to do a recall. They disagree.
0: I'm saying it depends on the situation in the market. Um, if if they are in a lot of trouble and like if the if th- the damage to C- their the reputation was severe enough, yes. come on. it's
1: not it's not a, it's not wishy washy. It's like the, they obviously didn't want people to die and they didn't want the the negative repercussions from that, either from the forms of being sued in court or like losing market share as a result. But either way, there's many incentives for them not to do that purely on the market. And one of them being government, the court system.
0: Well, once that, once it's found out about it, but if the damage is uh, is too indirect, or if it's too far back into the air, uh, yeah, they could too They, the they didn't
1: have to do a recall, but they did. They could have just cl- claim ignorance, but maybe you know, maybe some expert would say this, and then they'll have to pay, and then they'll have a bad reputation. Like, and they decide just it's not worth the, the cost.
0: And sure, then it's in their benefit.
1: Okay, so we have already several incentives for them not to not to kill the customers.
0: Just like we have incentives for them to do
1: so. Sorry?
0: Just like we have incentives for them to do so.
1: No, look, I, I, re- I really need you to appreciate that it's silly for you to say that, you're, that you as a business owner, especially one that's invested a lot of time and money in their business, not like a pop-up shop or like where you, or like you, you, you sell something that gives people stomachache and then you run away or something to another country. I'm just saying like a regular business that invests a lot of time and money in it, Yes, it, it's okay. silly for them to want, desire or even unintentionally want to kill their customers. Do you, do you not agree?
0: Well, obviously, I'm not saying they literally desire to kill their customers. No, I mean, I'm, I'm not.
1: I'm I'm not saying they. It's obviously. Well, okay. So let's let's take away from the table the incentive to literally kill their customers. Then let's, let's take say away, to, uh, Let's let,
0: say that they have an incentive in certain cases to not implement safety precautions that could prevent their customers from being hurt.
1: Where is the evidence of this? If if I just uh, give you if, if I just gave you an example of companies doing recall, more than one, like several companies I'm aware of do recalls. Why would doesn't it, doesn't it point to the fact that this assumption about incentive is untrue?
0: No, I would argue that it's uh, that it just based on, on what you arguing from, based I would on, say logically follows from it, just but, the way the incentives that exist.
1: I would say that your logic is flawed then because it uh, because if your logic applied to reality it obviously is the case that it's not correct
0: okay so let let's let's uh let's put up all the incentives we have here right on the one hand there's the cost you need for actually fixing the issue right yep. on the other hand you have the cost to your reputation that's going increase that's going to result in revenue losses you have the customers that might potentially just you know if your customers die obviously they can't repay they, they can't Go back to you and purchase something. So obviously, that's also revenue cost. So you have, well, I would say you're you know, okay, you the cost if you want to fix your reputation. You know, let me give so you, so the, let me give us,
1: you, the, let me give you the actual incentives. The, the reputation, the cost to your reputation is is the shet, the possible shutting down of your company. It could be a very severe uh, cost to your reputation. And in addition to that, um, people have other options. So if like, if like you're the only one, maybe. But if like there's a hundred other car companies. And like it's just easier to buy it from someone else, then it's it's a severe cost. Um, it's it's a severe risk. Sorry, and in addition, even though people die, they can't return to you. But they can. Their families can take you to court. or the government itself can't take you to court, and you will have to pay a severe, a severe amount of money. Could be more, or, and if you multiply it by the number of people, it could be more than doing a recall. And it, obviously, losing. Losing out of market share and the threat of of uh, being taken to court is enough to do a recall.
0: Okay, let me let me ask you like this: Why are there companies who are taken to court?
1: The customers, tell variety of reasons. Like really, a variety of reasons.
0: But if you are saying that the threat of being taken to court is so great that you wouldn't risk that, and yet it still happens all the time.
1: If if it's a new nu- if it's a nuisance claim. Right then, sure. You have lawyers for that. You'll try to be as fair as you can. There are nuisance claims, Um, but if you like outright hurt people, even even unintentionally, like that's not a good look. That's not something you want to do. And and I don't think the people in the company are interested in that in doing that either. Like the like, I don't think there'll be a situation where hmm, if I kill if I kill adults and and children, I can make more money. That sounds good. Maybe I should like. No one's thinking that.
0: You know, people are thinking, hmm, there's a, like 0.5% chance that this might this might make this might lead to uh, to stillbirths in women. Do I do do I risk that the, Okay, look, that if, I in, I the, in the case of in, in the case of
1: medicine, right, that's there are risks. Right. All you can in the case of medicine, there are risks. All you can do is inform the customer, there are always risks to medicine, right? All you can do is inform the, the, the person who's buying, inform their doctor as well, and let them, let them make the decision. There was a, a drug that you know libertarians and uh, people who like government argue a lot about, which uh, the company itself would, but let's, let's say it was, a, it was a pain medication against arthritis, but it also increased the chance of getting a heart attack. Now, obviously heart, heart attacks are not good but some people say like they couldn't continue living their life without this pain medication like the pain was so immense like life was not worth living so you know you you need to kind of let them and their doctors decide what to do if if like they don't have a high chance of heart disease and it increases that then then maybe they can just take it if they if they do have heart disease maybe they can counteract it with a different pill if it's just look there's no point it's too risky you will have a heart attack because your heart is already in a bad situation, then there's nothing they can do. But, you know, you need to l- let them
0: would, decide the risk. My argument there would be that uh, this more or less works in medicine because, you know, it's a highly regulated field and companies have like, are legally required to be transparent about this stuff. So even Why there, would yes. you
1: not want to be transparent, though? Why would you not want to be transparent?
0: Why w- well, because the more your, com- your customers are aware of the potential flaws with your product, the less they're going to buy it.
1: The, the you your product no your product solves a particular a particular problem that they have. They're interested in the solution to their physical ailment. Now there are always side effects to, to these medicines. Your pro- your prerogative is to give them the, I would say, give them as much opportunity to understand what those may be, and study what those may be before it happens, so that they'll fully. Knowledgeable as to what happened. Now, if if you don't do that, then you just risk your again. You risk your brand name, and you you risk being taken to court. Like you you didn't say that I would get this thing, or or maybe you could say like you know it was a zero point zero zero. We didn't know something like that. But like every, but even in this kind of scenario, everyone's trying to fix the health problem. No one's trying to. You don't you don't release a product. That doesn't do, do doesn't do? fix the the health problem well.
0: How do you definitively prove that? Like for example, a uh, nothing can be definitively. You put in your-
1: you're going to have to ask me a different question because I can't definitively prove anything. Uh, yeah,
0: yeah, so, <laughs> sorry, badly, <laughs> framed. Uh, how, how do you uh, I guess sufficiently prove that a substance that I guess a food manufacturer puts into his food to make it taste a bit better? has a, I guess, 20% chance to increase the likelihood of having, se- having cancer in 50 years. How do you, look, you make that-
1: Okay, hold on. 50 years is an insane time
0: period. Anything yeah, can no, happen. That's what, and that's yeah, what
1: no no one can know that. that. That's like a...
0: Right, and companies have an incentive to not even, to, to look, not even you say can't, anything. You, can't, you, can't, might, you can't, might be like, oh, I have no idea what this is going to do, but I'm going to put it in my food anyways. Because Look, fifth,
1: look you, you can't ask that even that question. 50 years is a very, very long period of time to even deduce that it it originated from this flavoring, it, it, you can't. If if you say like two years, three years, five years, then I, I'd or eight years, I'd look into that. But fifty years, anything can happen in fifty years.
0: Like well, well, sure, we could we could say eight years, right? The point okay. remains the same. I mean, like <laughs> you can't just take the company to court. You would have to wait for someone to actually run a study on that, and then maybe come to results, and then okay, you so know, the company also run counter studies on that and find out let,
1: Let's look at this let's 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 look at a few ways right so yes. so basically what would what you and I are discussing right now, if we take a look at a, a bit of an overview is oh. that we're saying that self interest and the profit motive are bad they they have negative side effects, and those negative side effects can hurt other people that's why we need the government to step in that's that's what the discussion here is really about so the profit motive it's good um, it
0: it, that we need to do away with capitalism altogether, right? Right. Okay, but, but
1: yeah. the, 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 po- the argument, the, the conversation we are right now is we're finding holes in self in, in the concept of self-interest and in the concept of prof- the profit motive, because we're saying sometimes the profit motive can lead to, to negative things. And, and in this particular concept, we're saying, how do you know that the profit motive of a particular product, uh, flavoring for a particular food product, would not lead to cancer in eight years' time. That's like it's a very tall. That's a very tall ask. Now, if if it were, so, sorry. Before I continue. So again, we're 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 going over saying the self-interest is bad. Profit motive is bad. Now, if you're saying that the profit motive is bad, then you know we lose basically a lot of the benefits that we've gained from the profit motive. And if you're saying people can't be trusted, then obviously we need the government to. Make sure that we can trust people, or put a framework that we can trust people, and then we get the regu- the regulation, the bureaucracy, the taxes, and we get to where we are right now. But if we did trust people that they're not interested in killing their customers, and if they did hear that particular substance can lead to negative health effects in the future, and therefore they'll just they'll just take it out. It's there's the, there's like a penny per a penny per item of food. Like they'll just replace it with something else that even costs two pennies. Wow. A different food coloring costs two whole pennies instead of one. Like they'll do, they have, they do that already with um, allergies and like, oh, you take away milk, you put soya milk in like a cookie or something. Most people don't care; they don't even notice that you made that change, and just you have less allergic reactions. You can sell to more people. Except like the diehard people say, no, I actually do want milk. I don't want soya. Then most people don't care, and they'll just make that change because it's easier to not piss off people or not harm them. They do that all the time. So we need to get to a situation where we acknowledge that the profit motive, profit motive and self-interest is not interested in hurting other people. They have no benefit at all from doing so.
0: Oh, I never said they have no benefit from doing so, right? I'm saying... They I'm saying... I'm, saying,
1: yeah. I'm yeah. saying... You're saying that they do have a profit motive to hurt others that can result in other people being hurt. Oh, hurt others. The therefore, care, we oh. need to... Therefore, the, we can not trust it. We can't trust people... To interact with one another and we can't trust their, you know, self interest, therefore, and profit. So we have to intervene. And if we can't trust it, then you know, what, what's the point of this market thing? If we need heavy government regulation to get to a point where we can trust it.
0: Well, well, see that's where the libertarian socialism comes in, right? I neither trust the private corporations nor the government. <laughs> Uh, okay. Basically, it all comes to back to what we said at the start. Right, I'm a psychological egoist. I I believe every all of us are fundamentally self interested. And to me, given that I'm I have utilitarian preferences, to me what follows from that is that we have to make sure that people don't assert their own self interest over that of others. And that, for example, so to to bring kind of bring it back to the profit motive.
1: Wait, hold on. Wait, wait. wait what 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 do you mean? What do you mean, if everyone is self-interested, yes, we, we agree on that. Everyone is, what does that mean, assert their self-interest over that of others?
0: Uh, that basically means, let's say, uh, me and three other people are in a room, I have a gun, none of them do, so I use the, use the power that gun gives me to assert my self-interest over theirs. Basically, just so, like, my self-interest has the most weight in that room. Because I use power to assert it over there. Okay, can you
1: give me any other example than that? That doesn't that doesn't seem I can apply to anything, any thought process with regards to free markets.
0: Uh what do you mean it doesn't apply to any thought? Uh, you process? you
1: said I have a gun and I tell people I don't know how that can be applied in a in a market setting. Or profit motive. A profit oh, motive say- setting.
0: Let's let's take a company town for example, right? Because it's an easy example. Basically you're not I, dig- I don't want to...
1: Right? no, hold on, pause. I don't want to take company towns as an example. They're very, very rare. And as far as I know from the digging that I've done, the people who make them do it for altruistic slash religious reasons. Like some some person made a an, a company town around um, sewing machines for, for women and they're like, No, you, you have to dress like this, you have to go to church on this time. And you can't all you can't work between this and the, it was like for altruistic reasons. that's not like I mean, they it happened, and it also happened so on so few occasions. I don't even know what's the point of mentioning it
0: all right. then i I, will, I wanted to mention it because it's an easy example, but of course also we can basically go to any we can go to any market okay. where there's a surplus of suppliers or okay. dem- like basically where where there's either a surplus of suppliers or people who demand, right? okay once there's a surplus of either then the person who's like basically has the has the most leverage can has has more power to set the conditions. So for example like uh, in the in the like the low income labor market right there there's a lot of people who need those jobs to survive. Okay. And so the employers can get away with a lot of shit that they wouldn't otherwise get away with. Okay, but so for, for I example, I I don't agree I don't agree
1: so and you're comparing that you're compare. It seems to me like you're comparing that example with with you owning, you having a gun, in a room with three other people. Because to me, I don't see like force
0: being applied here. You could say like that someone has. You few- oh, for example, I, uh, the comparison I'm making is about. You're saying power.
1: power. You're saying yeah. So.
0: Yes, okay. and obviously me, wh- literally having a gun, and is is obviously a far greater power than me being in an advantageous economic position, right? Yeah, but so I... And there's the same. I hold power over you. Or <laughs> well, I have more power than you do, so I can make... So when we come together to make a deal, uh-huh. I have more leverage to make sure that that deal has more favorable, favorable outcomes to me than it does to you.
1: Okay, so... I, I understand your point. So you're saying, look, there's a market of suppliers and a market of... Let's say there's a market of employers and a market of potential employees and some potential employees out of that market or a minority of potential of employees in, in in reality don't have too many options and they have to rely on jobs which aren't that great and their employer has more in quotation leverage than they do. But to them it's still a good opportunity to to take, right?
0: Or we could also like to to make it less stereotypically socialist. We could also like take the example of an of of a, of a small business owner, right? His business is barely keeping up, and he has to hire new workers to get to to get to like improve his business. Mm-hmm. So he like cuts back on his own income to pay his workers because he wants his bus- to grow his business. Okay. In that case, he has less leverage than his workers because the workers can just go to anyone else, and he just has this one business that he wants to keep growing.
1: Okay, but that doesn't seem like. That doesn't seem like force. It just seems like that's the situation.
0: Oh yeah, it's and not force. What I'm talking about is power. It's power not power. Force. It's not power. It is power. I don't. It's do economic. It.
1: Eco- <laughs> economic power is when I can buy stuff.
0: No, no. You can. You, 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 but, but, okay. So uh, let's get really down to the definitions. To me, power is essentially the ability to assert your self-interest around your environment, right? Like if you have power over something, that means you can make it do what you want to do. Want to have it done.
1: Right, but right. I but I can't it's not like it's not like I become if I have more money I become a king over other people. It's like if I have more money, I can buy a nicer car and people will send me the nicer car. Or I can buy two cars.
0: If you have more money, that means you have more economic leverage to make people do what you want them to do. If, that doesn't have f- I, I, I
1: can't I can't make I can't okay look I can't make them do anything they outright do not want to do but if they want to sell cars and I want that car, then I can make them I can engage in a trade which will make them give me that car because we're both self interested in doing that the, the the self-interest is still on both sides and we're both interested in getting the best outcome for ourselves given the the conditions and opportunities that we have available. And those yeah, conditions but- and those conditions and opportunities are just what we, what we're born with from nature, what, what, how we start off from nature. those are not nothing to do with, uh, with other people. I mean how, how if, if you take that away even if you, if you take that opportunity away from people, how would they rise up if they don't have that really bad you know job, entry-level job? if you take that away from them, how would they go up the career ladder?
0: Well they can still have the job right? it would just be nice no, but if
1: would... you take the if you take the job away or you make it too expensive for that person if you let's say you put a minimum wage and and that person now look if 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 I have a minim- if I have to pay i don't know some amount of money, then I'll take the best person for that job and not the person I would have taken before who I would have paid less, but they would have gotten you know a foot in the door in their career.
0: Mm-hmm. I think that depends a lot on whether the minimum wage cuts into the profit margins of the corporations. If the corporations have to pay more for their workers, it, but it has, not, making...
1: has nothing to do. Look, it has nothing to do. I didn't even say profit margins because if it if it outright well, cuts fine. if it outright cuts in the profit margins, then the person will either reduce staff or shut down the business, and that has been done. Now I'm just saying, without considering the profit margins, I'm just saying if the minimum wage is X. I'll take the best person I can get for that job, and I won't take the person who would have taken who would have charged x minus two two dollars because i can't I, it's it's illegal and I would have taken that person because they only charge x minus two dollars and I would have let them let them come in and I would have given them like an entry door into their career so basically i'm you could say you're gentrifying uh entry level jobs by putting a minimum wage you
0: mm-hmm. I don't know. I would argue there that there's generally enough positions that we want to have filled for people to. I, I do. I do see your point, though. Yeah.
1: Okay. Let's let's I, take. I would, let's I would take,
0: argue that there's enough positions so that like the gentrification or whatever you want to call it there doesn't have. Obviously, that's a metaphor, right? But that it doesn't have like as big of an effect, right? But
1: so let let's take. Uh, let's take. Let's let's take that, like, let me let me give you the, the let me give you the data that I know. So let's take black teens. And in America. So they come from, you know, impoverished backgrounds. Their parents may be single parent, you know, female-led single parent family. The school system was terrible, public school system. Now they're in a position where they need to start their career somewhere. And they, you know, an employer has like an option of 10 people, and he has to—I don't know—fifteen dollars or ten dollars. I don't know what the thing is. Let's say fifteen. In some, in some, so he'll take the best person he can for that amount of money. And and a person who who didn't have a good school education. And, sorry. And the person he took had a good school education, potentially even uh, university education. Because what happens is people who come from university—they're they're underemployed sometimes—and they'll just kick out the people who don't have uh, a university or high school education. So even if you didn't finish high school you're shit out of luck, really. And they'll just push the people, they'll just put pressure down on the type of people that can, can get these entry level jobs, including uh, black teens who now have like, I don't know, 40% unemployment. I don't even know what the, I, I think I did this like two years ago and I'm getting numbers from research I did back then, but it is not low that black teens are not able to get their foot in the door. Like the, 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 doll, the, the, the steps towards the door are now much, much higher for them to climb it and then start their career. Some, I mean, and even, even if they get like a job, even if they don't earn anything or they own under the table or something, they're earning, um, they're gaining experience at work. They're, they can, you know, get a good recommendation. They can go work somewhere else. They can improve their skills. They need to start somewhere, especially teenagers. And if that's taken away, it has an extremely negative effect on their long term life.
0: Yeah, there, there's three points that I would be making. Uh, firstly, I would say that uh, low-income jobs like that, uh, negotiation is far less common there to begin with. Oh yeah. So oh, 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 can see I, can, can I actually scenario like, like, like you, you describe? like, uh, can I just add something really
1: quick? I, it's really funny. I I I've, I've only discovered this recently. So you remember when I said about the houses? When I said if if there's a regulation to to build a roof in a particular way, then people just stick to the regulation. Yes. This also somehow, I didn't know this till recently. this somehow also applies to entry-level jobs. So, so the entry-level jobs or, or minimum wage jobs, when you classify something as minimum wage jobs, you kind of anchor the price to the price to that. So like everyone knows that it's a minimum wage job, so no one tries to bargain more than that because that's just the name of the job. Every, everyone's just following the regulation of the government to set the price for that. So if it's below or above, it's stuck. The only way to go, like uh, above it, is like either not call it a minimum wage job, jobs, like they do in uh, that uh, White Castle thingy, which I help pay more, or they say you're a manager, you're no longer a minimum wage job, or you're like a shift shift manager or shift whatever I don't know, and you're no longer a minimum wage job because otherwise it's, people are just glued to that uh, figure. Anyway, go on, continue.
0: Well, I would say that uh, I've I've looked at a few uh, low-income jobs, right? and I, I would say that uh, usually at least in, in Germany... Europe, Where in Germany?
1: Where in Germany yeah. have you looked for low-wage jobs, eh? Where? Berlin. Sorry? Berlin. Berlin? Which side? East yes. or West? East. East Berlin? Well, I guess... Technically- ah yeah. Oh, no. Go on. <laughs>
0: But, but yeah, so usually they do tend to be a bit higher than minimum wage, right? But either way, on that point, I'm I'm sure you've read that in a study somewhere, right?
1: What that East Berlin something?
0: Uh, no, 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 not East Berlin. Uh, just like that, uh, that there's the stickiness to the minimum wage.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. People, people just you call even you even call it a minimum wage job. There's no arguments. That's it. That's the
0: even okay, people right. just anchor um, to the price. Oh, and yeah, no, I'm, just, I'm, I'm just saying, uh, could, you, could you send me that study for, uh, after the debate? I would love to look over that.
1: <laughs> yeah, I have, to, I, have to, I have to look at that, but it, but it was just so funny, like, oh, it makes sense? No, like, oh, okay. And
0: yeah, no, uh, then, oh, what was the second point I was going to make? Get, kind of got uh, went on a tangent there.
1: You said you had three points on minimum wage.
0: Yes, and I'm thinking what the, what the second point was. Uh, well, let me just make the third point, and hope I'm kind of going to come up with the second again. Sure. <laughs> so my my third point would be: isn't it bad that like people have to be satisfied with wages that might not even support their bare minimum necessities?
1: Well, I mean, look, that's not necessarily the fault of the business owner. Like, look, the business owner has a has a job. You, it, it doesn't. It's not you personally. He needs someone for that job, right? Mm. There's, there's like it doesn't. It's not personally to you. It, it doesn't have to be like a mother with four kids. It doesn't have to be a teenager. you just needs someone for that role and that's I don't know if it's a minimum wage role, if it's a, if it's a low skilled role, that's just the, the opportunity for that particular job. doesn't mean you have to accept that one. But if it is good for you, then you should accept it if if uh, I know in general in general in Germany, wages are a little bit higher, um, prices are a little bit higher, prices of goods are a little bit higher as well.
0: Uh, oh, it depends the, on compared to who, right? They're, they're vastly lower than in the US. <laughs> I was actually shocked. Uh,
1: I know. I think Berlin itself is like quite expensive to to rent as well.
0: Not to rent, absolutely yes.
1: And uh, well, it's a city, but what can you do? But um, I think I think I think Germany is one of those examples. There's heavy government intervention. Like the, there's also like um, when you're in school, you'll either go to like an internship from school. Or you'll go to um to university.
0: There's basically, there's basically mandatory internships in eighth grade.
1: Yeah, but the government chooses if you go to university or go to internship, right?
0: Oh no, no. Uh, basically, the way it works is it depends on your degree. Basically, there's like it, it, in Britain you have A levels, right? After after like your basic high school diploma. Yeah, yeah. It, it's the same in Germany. Basically, you either go, you either just finish after high school and then you. Oh, you can't I to university Or you do your A levels.
1: But who chooses? Who chooses to? Who chooses to go to university? Is it the people? Is it the choice of people, or does the government decide? Like in oh, Singapore, no. who, who goes where?
0: No, it's one hundred percent the choice of the people. Like I could okay. go to any university now. Say, hey, I have my A levels, then they would look at my grades and decide whether I can compete with the other students or not.
1: I see. Okay, so in in places like Singapore, they decide if you're going on an internship or or to university, like based on your results, and then if you don't like that, you have to pay for private university or something. But uh, otherwise, it's the government te- just dictates for you. Yeah, I'm probably not somewhere. the
0: biggest fan of that. I feel like that decision should be up to the individual because you know they are more likely to know where their affinities are.
1: Sorry, back to the point. Um, the government has has like this uh, good relationship with the industry and. Um, they set up these internships and everyone kind of, kind of has one. We don't have it. It's not that popular in the UK, for example, but I know it is popular in, in Germany. And also, I think, I think in the third year of a university, you also work somewhere, but that's,
0: it, it depends on the major.
1: Yeah. So there's like a, you're basically like prepared to go into the workforce very, very early on. And, um and yeah, like you kind of are supposed to get a job, a well-paying job, a, a job of, of someone who has some years experiences in apprenticeship at the very minimum, um, That's my understanding anyway.
0: Oh yeah, that's absolutely absolutely a lot of programs that make it, I guess, easier for people to get into the workforce.
1: Okay, And you, you like this German method, or you prefer the, the free markets?
0: Uh, I would say it seems reasonable, but the point I was gonna make is basically that like it's gen we 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 need all those low income jobs right, and yet we pay a lot of the people who have them not enough to even like properly survive i think i, I, think,
1: like- I think the low income jobs are a minority and they they are personally i think i think there are other entry level jobs for a reason like you're supposed to move away from them at some point and they just chill, have a high churn or like if you, if you increase the, sorry, one second. If you increase the wages too much, then people will just have it automated like they do in McDonald's, for example. (laughs) But as it stands, like it's easier to just hire someone for cheap.
0: Yeah, you know, but but that's what I'm saying, right? I'm, I'm I'm saying that even if there's benefits to hiring someone for cheap, that person still needs to live. So, what do we do about that? Do we just like accept that they're not going to be properly uh, supplied with nutrients and stuff for a lot of their early life, which is going to lead to them not developing as much as a person?
1: Well, I think I think or, you're, I think you're catastrophizing slightly. If it's a teenager, then they'll still live.
0: I mean, sure. Right. If they are living with their parents, right? Then sure, make them make them work a second job, a, a, a second job, but like the wage isn't as high. Like that, the, the problem isn't really there, then, right? But well, there's, a lot, a lot
1: of a lot of the, the entry level jobs are between the age of sixteen and twenty
0: four. Sure, then, and that because I don't really have that much of an issue with it.
1: And just look at the numbers. And even oh, like oh. even like minimum wage, I think it's like. Um, I think also, it's like only one percent or, or two or two percent of the overall population. Thank you,
0: honey. Also, just to be clear, as far as I know, there's a, there's a limit when the minimum wage applies in Germany. So, for example, there's something that's called uh, I think it's student jobs, basically, where okay. like it's it's a very small job that you work as a student, where like the minimum wage doesn't apply because you're expected to do it on the side while you're still with, living with your parents and stuff.
1: Okay. I mean, look, I. I, I would say, in general, I would say that um, if you have like a free market, and there are very few barriers to entries for entrepreneurs to come in, in my, in my humble opinion, I would say that you would have more employers, more companies, to compete over jobs, even these entry-level jobs, and therefore cause a situation where there's de- higher demand for those jobs and, and increase Wages or conditions or the likelihood of of, improve, of uh, sorry, uh, improving your career. Um, so in, in general, just as a supply and demand kind of like theme, I would say that you'd have more of that in a free market.
0: Uh, do you have evidence to suggest that like, the main reason there's not as much entrepreneurship as there could be is regulations and government involvement?
1: So... I mean, to some degree, does it affect entrepreneurship? Does it affect the creation of new companies?
0: Does it? Um, so let's let, Strongly enough for it to have like this big impact on the quality of labor uh, you can get.
1: So it's a it's a it's a difficult ask. I can I can talk in generalities. I could say that. Um, If you have regulations that eat eat into the profit margins or make it difficult to hire someone because there are a lot of considerations and and, and administrative burdens or or costs, that would mean you hire fewer people. If if you don't have a good chance of earning money and earning money in relation to what you invest, you wouldn't start the company to begin with. You may even close down if you did. So um, the profit has to be over a certain amount for people to get interested. In in the position in the company, sorry, and um, both taxes and regulations eat into that. Now, regulations, in addition, are bar- can be barriers to entry, just to start the company get into the industry. Like you have to have X, Y, and Z, and that's you know how you how free marketers will say this is how you form monopolies because you have a high barrier to entry, so few people can enter the the industry, and therefore the larger players can be more aggressive towards the minority of players because the government just cut off uh, new entrants from coming in. And and even they may encourage uh, regulations that would result in cutting off new entrants.
0: Okay, so for starters, uh, what do you think about regulations and especially like uh, tax structures where like they benefit small businesses. So basically you go like, okay, depending on how long the business has existed and how large it is, we are going to like uh, not be as strict with our regulations and going to give them some tax benefits.
1: You can So this is subsidies. You, you can do subsidies in terms of taxes, but I don't see how you can you not do it in terms of regulations. Ultimately, the regulations are there for um, protecting the consumers. So I don't see how the size of a business will affect that.
0: Well, if you are arguing that like regulations are this great hindrance to entrepreneurship, and we want entrepreneurship, then you could make a case for, uh, for not that the, co- a- the
1: but it would defeat the purpose of of those regulations in this instance. If you're protecting the consumers, then it doesn't matter like the the state of it. Like if if an entrepreneur comes in and is and you you say okay, just for you, you have no regulations, then they somehow cause.
0: Not no, no issues. Regulations, just less regulations, right? You, you you take regulations that are like I don't see not as important, but
1: I don't see how you can popular. do that. Regulations are also like bureaucracy. And regulations are so massive. I don't even see how you can entertain that idea. It's just such a headache. Well, well for uh, example,
0: just reading making stream, making a streamlined version of it, right? For like where you where you where you focus really on the there most is no important. such
1: there is no such thing.
0: Well, that's what I'm saying. Why not make there such is no a such thing?
1: thing? There's no stream. Look. I I can show you. Like, I only have uh, like from America, but I can show you like how regulations become larger and larger over time. in In twenty twenty, there there were, were four point seven million restrictions, uh, like just federally. Not even, not even like state or or, or like if you have like insurance... like. Uh, oh, no,
0: no. I I, I trust you on that I I do work with government papers. John, there.
1: Sure. So it's it's just just me like paying my taxes is such a vague and ambiguous thing like i don't see how you can streamline anything unless, unless you do something like look all taxes are just one number you can pay it in 5 minutes we don't like there's no deductions no nothing it's just a low number leave us alone and just pay it okay if you do something like that like this is tax tax simplifications if you do something like that and you and you kind of like make it redundant to you know those this is a bit of a side point, make it redundant for uh, companies to play with the rules so they can be more tax efficient. Just say, well, taxes are low, no deductions, no playing around, equal to everyone, big or small, then they, you could, you could in theory, incentivize uh, entrepreneurs that way, absolutely. Because if, if a large company comes in, let's say uh, Amazon comes into a town on a state level or on a country level or city level, and you know, states and cities and countries compete for companies because it's, it's jobs and those citizens yeah, want jobs. And they say, you have a subsidy, you don't have to pay tax above this number, and just, just you know, employ 10,000, 50,000 people in our, in our state. Well, that's what we want. So those people will have you know, more of a preference. And you know there are um, industrial policies just for these kind of large players coming into your state or city. Uh, but if you say, we don't have any of that, we just have a flat, low tax for everyone, large and small, no, no loopholes, no nothing, just pay it, it's it's too it's too small to even bother with playing with it. Just, just just pay it. People will do that. And that will incentivize entrepreneurs.
0: Well then we also have the issues that Amazon won't move in the small town, right?
1: Maybe if it's if it's worthwhile for them. Like if it's low yeah. enough. If it's <laughs> low I mean, enough if, they may move.
0: If it was already worthwhile for them that they, then they wouldn't need the additional incentive, right?
1: If if you have let's say if you have an economic zone with a low tax rate, yeah? Mm. People start moving to that economic zone. They start building something. At some point, it does incentivize large companies because there's a lot of activity there as well. It doesn't incentivize large companies to, you know, put an office, put a factory in. Yeah, it just happens on its own.
0: Uh, sh- sure, but if it was that easy, they wouldn't have to incentivize Amazon, right? There's, there's like it does happen eventually, or, or, or it might also not happen because there's the whole problem of brain drain going on, right? No, are people born the, in that town and become proficient, at causing it, like creating economic activity, mm-hmm. move into the city to do it there. The, the idea so is it's the, not that easy. Right?
1: The idea is basically this, right? The the politicians and all the, the bureaucrats put a high tax number or high burden on everyone, and then they leave room for themselves to, to give it to friends and family, or friends or friends of family, yeah? They can come in, they can put to the town, and because they have that buffer, people in the industry are incentivized to approach the politicians, and now the politicians are starting to sell something to, to people. They have some sort of leverage now, because they've raised it to like 39% corporation, I don't know what it is in America, 39% corporation tax, 21% something in addition to that. All sorts of uh, rules that you have to play. If you have em- employees, you have to make sure, they, you, even if they will male, that they have to pay for pregnancy leave or something like that. I don't know. A variety of different things. And then they say, well, for you, because we want you in our town, we'll not enforce these things for the first two to five years or something like that. And then they invite people in. But if they didn't have the stick, they wouldn't have the carrot.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's what. That's kind of what I'm saying. Uh If if you, if you don't have the carrot, then how do you get the big companies mo- uh, moving in? I'm, I'm, what I'm kind of pointing out is that uh, I guess this is one of the issues I tend to have with the free market. That like, there's so many situations in which there's always this. You gain some, you lose them, right? There's always this. There's always this big cost to making this decision. I feel like a lot of them just aren't necessary.
1: Okay, but if you, but just so I understand, if you have a, a situation where the government is small, taxes are low, regulations are, let's say, low-ish, and then they say, look, Amazon, if you want to come here, fine. If you don't, don't. Someone will come here and we'll hands off. Like, we're, we're only here if, you know, murder, invasion, gang violence, that's what we're here for. Anything else, like, we're not involved, why would... Large companies not come there just because taxes are low, regulations are low. They can set up relatively easily. I mean, yes, they don't get any be- they don't get any special treatment from a high tax, uh, like a high tax city that gives them special treatment. But they also don't have to negotiate anything. It's still low taxes relatively, and it's low uh, regulations.
0: So what they're talking about is basically just like the. Town, universally low in Texas or something like that. Let's say
1: it's an economic economic zone with low taxes. Why would they not set up shop there? Or why would they Why would they prefer like a town where they have like a crooked bureaucrat or politician that gives them favorable treatment over an economic zone?
0: Oh well, why they would set up in that town, like in the in the corrupt town, is kind of obvious, right? Because there they have less competition to worry about. But, but no if, if it's just about like turning low-income areas into uh, making them more profitable by, by I guess like cutting taxes and that sort of stuff, I could mm-hmm. see an argument. I'm, I'm not entirely opposed to it, depending on the circumstance. like obviously you could also run into issues where like uh, all these companies are setting up shop there and then you just don't have the re- uh, revenue to, pu- to fund every any public services. but but, but, but I mean that could still but be you by
1: you wouldn't federal, you wouldn't have. Public services. The public services will be provided by the market, basically. Like the public services that that you have will be police, army, court, yeah, prison. And,
0: yeah, and and I mean, you could also argue that, like, if no company is gonna set up there, then you're gonna not, not gonna have high tech. Then you, you're not gonna have tax income, anyways, right? So, yeah, I, I guess all in all, uh, I'm not opposed to the idea of like. Great.
1: Can mm-hmm. I sit, can I mark you down as a free marketeer? Can I write I you down next to your name? Dash likes free market, how capitalism?
0: No, what, what I would say is that like in cases like this we can use the free market to an advan- advantage, right? I've, I've never, just to be clear, I've never argued that like the free market has no benefits whatsoever, right? Like we started off this conversation agreeing that the free market is vastly superior to anything that's come before it, right? So, okay, so, so I'm, I'm not arguing there's no benefits. Okay.
1: Cool. Okay, look, we're at two and a half hours now, or two and fifteen. Um, what would you say? Like, if I persuaded you on some things, have you persuaded me on some things? How do you think it it went so far?
0: Let me think. Uh, I, I I guess I, I feel like we have been a bit all over the place, which isn't necessarily a bad thing. I think we have touched on many topics, and
1: I I would I would say you're right, but I think we did. Uh, loyally stick to profit and self-interest quite well throughout the
0: Yeah, throughout the I, I, guess, I guess the issue is more so just how broad of a topic it is. <laughs> uh one thing you one interest one really interesting thing that I haven't thought about before that is absolutely correct is the whole thing uh what you pointed out with the housing regulations, right? How uh, Oh
1: god it's so frustrating
0: how how there's how there's an incentive there to just stick to the regulations because the more the more stuff you add on top, the harder it's gonna be for the bureaucrats to, or uh, well, at least with the current policies, to to quantify that somehow. And then, so, so, so to, me, so to me, that's like, yeah, uh, that's definitely something, some a point where like we need better policies there. I the wouldn't. The say thing, that's the thing is, an argument the, for no regulations, but it's definitely an issue that you've brought to my attention that I've not even thought about before.
1: The thing is that, and I have this, I have this sort of argument with with a lot of people. Uh, even more like central centrist leaning than you. or like you say, look, the I I believe that in self interest and profit motive won't harm people. And in addition, the government is failing at, at what it does. It's it's not good. So when people like yourself and even more centrist leaning people hear the government isn't doing a good job to them, it just mean well. The government should do a better job. We should hire better politicians. We should hire better bureaucrats. Like it it ne- it never occurs to them that this is the wrong direction and that profit and self-interest is the right direction because it it can handle itself and uh, we haven't even talked about the vast uh, self self-regulations you can have within the market or like different companies that are responsible for quality assurance or 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 uh business insurance that you know in case you're taken to court the business insurance would say well we don't want you to get taken to court therefore you have to change this in your product and stuff like that but um the thing is, like the the assumption that self interest and profit are bad is why you have all the all the systems, the mixed economy that we have today. And I would say that the core, that the root of that is from religion, because we're not trusting that self interest is good for the collective. And and even like in religion, like it's not like a it's not black and white. Like there's a mix. Like it's it, there's a, sorry, there's a balance to it, which is why we have a mixed economy. So, I, th- I think people should really have a better understanding of how market functions and, you know, from a free market perspective. And, and then we may hopefully in the future have a situation where we don't have to pay exorbitant amounts of money for uh, public health care. Our economy may grow, our quality of life may grow. And I, I really do think it, it has to go back to the Enlightenment. We need like an Enlightenment 2.0. Well,
0: that, that's kind of assuming though the opposition doesn't really have arguments, right?
1: I'm I'm not following.
0: Like when you are saying that these that these things are inspired by religion and stuff, you're you're kind of presupposing that there's no sufficient reasoning behind it.
1: I'm I'm presupposing that people just think, just just deep down have an intuition that self interest and profit motive will have is good in some cases, in in some or most cases. But in some cases, we, they, the government has to come in and regulate because they can, like, they'll have a motive to harm other people. I, I think deep down people have an intuition, with an, an unreflected intuition, that that is the case, and that is why they want the government to step in, and, and bureaucrats are then in a position to keep adding more and more safety measures, more and more regulations, and it doesn't matter how much it costs, uh, how much it increases prices for consumers, or, or increase the cost of living because that's not their focus. the focus isn't on the profit motive or cost the focus is on safety
0: yeah, well, the focus on me is just uh, as you kind of I, I guess alluded to, the focus on me is that like yeah, I would say the profit motive doesn't always align with the well-being of the people
1: okay would um, you would you at least would you at least agree that the the downstream the long term a hundred years later downstream effect of this is that we have High cost of medicine, high cost of uh, university education—at least in the UK. I think yours is free, but at least in the UK, high cost of housing, high cost of childcare, and and just these are the things that that um, that uh, increased our our cost of living and and make people's lives. People, you know, poor. Even if you're concerned people on the poor, and that would hurt them the most.
0: I mean, I could just as easily argue that those are caused by the free market trade. Right? Like, like, how, like, you, how would you say really, that, though?
1: How could you even make that claim?
0: Well, by arguing essentially from the, the ways in which, the again, like that—that's—I I guess one thing that I would take away from this debate is that, like, I have to—I have to work more on my debate skills because you still seem to be like under the impression that there's no arguments for, or, like, no. No, even remotely reasonable arguments for the profit motive potentially being harmful, right?
1: I, th- I think, I think it depends how you defi- you define it. I think if you look at the profit motive, if you look at again, I have to switch to self interest. If you look at self interest as short term, irrational, e- em- emotive, and self destructive, and i d de- I'm I'm defining it intentionally in this way then that could lead to issues. And if people see self-interest with the way I've just described the, these worlds, then they would see profit motive as in some cases it would be an issue, though, therefore we need the government to step in. But if you see self-interest as long-term rational self-interest, then I do not think that uh, that um, people would see it that way. I, I think right now I, I can give you a, an example. If if there was a company, if there was a for-profit company and, and a non-profit company that, that sold sold people exactly the same thing, right? People would trust the non-profit company more. Yeah, possibly. Well, that's that's kind of like the problem. It's it's, it's just an intuition. People just have a strong intuition that they don't trust it. I mean.
0: I mean, to I mean, to me, it wouldn't would be less of an intuition. It would be more of a a a probabilistic thing. That, like, I I would argue to me, my my internal reasoning would be that the non-profit argument uh, company has less of a reason to hide uh, negative facts factors that the product might have from me. Basically, basically, to me, I would I would I would assume that that the non-profit product. Is gonna be more likely to actually be what I'm gonna get. Uh,
1: <laughs> you you're kind of confirming what I'm saying. I
0: just gave I just, I just I just
1: gave you I just gave you like a questionnaire, questionnaire example. Like, would you trust this? Is it's a fake? It's not a real situation. I, I,
0: know, I, know. I know. I know. We are assuming that both products are identical, right?
1: Yeah, it's it. The, the companies you know, don't I'm actually saying, exist. Like, it's just I'm just giving you a hypothetical. What,
0: what you know what I'm saying is like if I made that purchase, I wouldn't know they are literally identical, right? I would look at all the factors, and then 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 I would ask myself, hmm, is this really all there is to it?
1: I yeah, I'm, I'm, I would
0: I'm, answer to that, and I would wonder, hmm, which company has more of an incentive to hide this, negative this factors? Is, from this is
1: this is this is exactly the point. You haven't you have sort of like a, a negative vision, and you think bad thoughts about this company. It's not like it's not like um, this is objectively the case. You just think that it's bad. You, you, you have a feeling that it is bad because it's for profit. Whereas another one is non-profit. So it, it must definitely not be hiding anything from you.
0: No, it must not necessarily be hiding anything from uh, just, I would say it has less of an incentive to hide something from me.
1: Why? Why would it have less of an incentive? It's like, if you're saying one is bad, why isn't the other? Just because it's non-profit? What's the difference?
0: Yes, because the, the profit-oriented company wa- actually like has a profit incentive to make me buy the product. While the right, but the, non-
1: the non-profit because one... Because it's, because it's
0: non-profit. <laughs> because, because it's non-profit. But I, okay. well, I, I guess I guess the stakeholders. I,
1: I I I think I think you should re-listen to this this conversation later. This this part of the conversation, and tell me if if you if you see like some something wrong with with how you looked at it. But okay. Anyway. Uh yeah, it was nice chatting with you. Let's do it again. Uh, come up with another topic. We can do it again. And uh, yeah. Uh, have a nice day. You too. Bye. Goodbye.